Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. We are at episode 22 this week, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of 10. In the first segment, we'll talk about the first five items from each of our lists in detail, why we feel they fit the list, why they're meaningful to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate lists before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong on the official top 10. Today's episode, we are talking about the top 10 best fight scenes ever. Ever. Across all media. All media. There's a lot God, of fight this scenes. this was a fun one. Go, oh my gosh. So, uh, a little bit of clarification here. So, what are we considering a fight scene? So, we tried to dis- we're trying to distinguish here between a fight scene and a battle. Um, we're not really considering battles for this. Like, Lord of the Rings is a great example. Uh, one of the defining things that we, when we were hashing this out, we used the example of, like, and from Return of the King, the Battle of Pelennor Field that takes up like half of that movie, that doesn't count. That's that's a huge, massive scale thing. Does not really fit the spirit of what we're going for. But within that battle, there's the scene that's the fight between Eowyn and the Witch King. Um, as a smaller portion of that, that would be considered a fight scene. That would be eligible. I don't think that's making either of our lists. But um, it kind of gives you, but, give yeah. you an idea of the type of thing we're talking about here. There's kind of a blurry line as to where the line is between a fight and a battle, but like we thought like a five on five is kind of beyond just a regular fight scene. But if it's like two on one or like one on three, something like that, that's fine. If it's or it's one guy versus a whole bunch of yeah, dudes. Yeah. If it's like one person versus like a hundred people, that's a different type of fight, but I still think qualifies as a fight scene because you're always focused on one person most of the time yeah you know occasionally you got the double fist back like what and that just like knocks out two dudes i'm not i'm not saying that like the 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 protagonist or whatever is focused on one person i'm saying the camera is focused on one person ah sure i feel like i did a pretty solid job to adhere to this rule this time yeah, there's a even even with that limitation, man, there are infinity of these to go through. Um, yes, I I spent I a lot of time just watching random movie and TV show fight scenes on YouTube and sure. I, way longer for research than I wanted it to be. And for every one that I watched, I thought of two or three more that I'm like, oh, I should watch this one and see if that's like good enough i don't have any tv on my list at all i don't have any tv either usually oh wait nope i lied i do okay sorry most frequently i find that you know the fight choreography in a movie is going to generally be a lot better (laughs) than than a tv show because like they're usually spending a lot more money on it right agreed and we'll get into that Okay. Right? I mean, there's a lot to consider here. Sure. I, I find myself, and I, I mentioned this to you kind of during my process, because I was struggling so hard to cut my list down to 10 and then reorder those 10 
And even in the last minute after submitting my list to our neutral third party, I made two more changes after that. I swapped two spots and I swapped one out completely. So, yeah, it's, uh, and honestly, I'm not happy with my results. That sounds like weakness that I can exploit. It does. I'm, I'm confident that what I have is very solid, but I also feel like, what am I forgetting? Sure. I also feel like I'm at a slight disadvantage because there are certain movies or books that had I read them as well, I might be able to consider them for my list. And sure. something tells me you did that. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's movies and stuff that you've seen that I have not. That include on your yes. list as well. Uh, a couple of... Th- caveats here at the top i want to bring up one um bit of a content warning we are talking about fight scenes so we will be talking about violence um and in detail really yeah oh man so if you are not comfortable with that and maybe some depictions of gruesome things uh maybe skip this one because i will spare no details it's we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in here you know, maybe not super over the top, but we'll be talking about blood and stuff. That'll happen. There will be gore. Uh, two, there's going to be spoilers in here. We'll try to get advance warning on these, but, a, you know, a lot of the best fights in a thing are the climactic fight. And we're going to have to talk about some story details around some of that stuff. So just keep that in mind as we go. That if, you, if we bring up a specific thing you don't want to get spoiled on, maybe skip ahead past that. This was a fun one. I really enjoyed the research, and I could honestly just keep watching random fight scenes for hours. Well, um... But, but we had to get it down to a real list. We did. And in order to get it to a real list, uh, there were a few factors that I really tried to key in on, mm-hmm. which was, how does the fight serve the story? What kind of banter is used? What kind of choreography? Mm-hmm. What what kind of variety, and what was the finishing move? Because I feel like the finishing move is often the piece de resistance. Sure, absolutely. Of, can of some of these, I I didn't break it down into categories quite near that much, but I did list what I think kind of the standout strengths of each of these fights are that did make my list. So. Uh, we uh, discussed with our impartial third party, and they determined that there was one duplicate within our top fives, mm-hmm. and then we had two other duplicates that went elsewhere. So since we have that one duplicate in the top fives, that means we go to our top sixes. And uh, so, Scott, why don't we start with your top six, your number six. There we go. And before we begin, I'm going to hijack and have a side list. Oh, right. You mentioned this. I forgot. Yeah, you didn't bother this time, so I did. because I thought about it, and then I decided not to. As I was going through, there were several that I'm like, this is hilarious. I would love to include this fight, but it's not a great fight. I just think it's funny. It's out of place. Or there's a really sharp line of banter. And so I decided to make a top 10 list of funniest banter during a fight. Interesting. Okay. At number 10, we have keep the change, you filthy animal. And that was, of course, during Home Alone, which sure. mm, maybe it's a fight, maybe it's not. I, yeah, it's in the spirit of it. It's number ten; doesn't matter. Number maybe nine, a battle of wills. In Austin Powers, as he's fighting the assassin who's attacking him on the toilet, he says, "Who does number two work for?" I thought that was pretty funny. 
and not, uh, I've not watched. Oh, Tom Arnold's in the stall next to him, and he's like, "Yeah, you tell that poo who's boss." Anyway, number eight, uh, we have from Deadpool. I'm gonna do to your face what Limp Biscuit did to music in the late '90s. <laughs> uh, pretty clever. Also, I've not watched. Uh, well, you are missing out because there's a lot of really good fight scenes in Deadpool. I don't like number Deadpool seven. As a character. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They live. From the movie They Live, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, during Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, at number six, we have Indiana throwing a Nazi off of the uh, ship, or the plane, and uh, people all looking at him like, what the heck are you doing? And he says, no ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty good. All right, number five, we have I'm not wearing hockey pads. Dark Knight's lament to the other bad guys uh, during, or I guess right after one of the battles. You know, what's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pads. There you go. Number four, Step Brothers, we have I teabagged your effing drum set. <laughs> I was not expecting to hear uh, about Step Brothers this episode. I, <laughs> there was a great bat. I mean, they fight almost immediately when they, after they meet. And I've, not, I've not watched that movie all the way through. Oh my! Well, that's like an early part of it. They meet each other, and then he's uh, telling him, you know, there's rules. Don't touch my drum set. And then he goes and teabags his drum set, and they get into a fight, and they're destroying the music room. It's pretty. I'm pretty good. sure I've seen like the back half of that movie. Okay. Well, number three, we have "Tis But a Scratch." Sure. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, of course. Uh, Black Knight. Yep. Number two, we have "You Once Were a Vegan." Now you, now will, you will be, be gone. gone. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim versus the world during the base battle. Number one, we have, of course, the best funniest banter during a fight from Happy Gilmore. The price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> oh, man. oh, it's so good. Bob did, Barker kicks his did ass. Did not expect Adam Sandler on this list either. Okay, well, <laughs> now you in know. this episode, I guess. These are so many comedy fights that just really didn't fit the overall spirit of this list, but for purposes of my side list, they were perfect. And there uh, were a lot of choices here. I do have a more comedy-focused fight that did fit my list, but we'll talk Ooh. about that later. Ooh. So moving on, why don't, why don't we jump into your number six to begin oh, with? Huh? Oh my, we're shaking Change it up, it up a little bit. Wow. What do you got? Okay, so number six for me is the only video game on my list, um, mm. video game fight. This is from the game Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, and it is the final boss. We're going to give a beat here for anyone who wants to avoid spoilers for Sekiro. Um, that is Nobody's playing this game. Man, this game's so good. God, this game's so good. It's one of my favorite all-time N- games. Never um, even heard of it. It's uh, it's from the Dark Souls people. You've that makes of, sense. You've heard of that. Uh, oh, yeah. So the final boss fight here is against uh, Ishin, the Sword Saint. Uh, and I think the main strengths of this fight are uh, the cinematic nature of the fight itself and the phase transitions that happen. So this is probably my favorite all-time ending boss of a video game. Uh, so... Sekiro is a game where you play as a warrior in a fantasy version of feudal Japan. Uh, Your character has been tasked with protecting a child that has immortal blood and is thus immortal himself. 
Uh, he's kidnapped at the start of the game, and you are on a quest to rescue him. Throughout the game, there are uh, really important themes of, like death and rebirth and immortality and what do you do with immortality and things like that. You also hear numerous tales of the great warrior Ishin, the sword saint, who is now an elderly man and is far past his prime. He's actually a character you interact with multiple times throughout the game as kind of like a friendly NPC sort of thing. Uh, the one who ha- the, the guy who's kidnapped the immortal child is named Genichiro, and he is the adopted grandson of Ishin. He wants to use the child to make himself immortal and to be able to better protect his family and the kingdom of Ashina. After confronting him multiple times in the game, at the end you come to a final battle with Genichiro. Uh, by this point, um, you, yeah, because it's like this is like the third time you fought him. So uh, by this point, most players have become pretty familiar with his capabilities. He's really not that hard to take down at that point. Uh, so you fight him, you take him out, and then after losing, he takes his sword and slices himself on the side of his neck and claims that Ashina will still rise again. Uh, and then. The, hand, the camera kind of cuts down to show his hand on his sword, and another hand and arm emerge from the wound on his neck and takes the sword from Genichiro's hand. And then a younger, armored version of Ishin the Sword Saint, his grandfather, bodily emerges from Genichiro's corpse, and then he you have to fight him. And that's the real final fight here. Uh, mm. it's very weird, but it's, uh, that, it's that's crazy. It's really something. Uh, so the fight is completely itself, unexpected. I mean, it sounds like a twist. Yeah, you, 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 you see him cut himself in the neck. You're like, okay, this is, you know, this is like feudal Japan stuff. Maybe he's doing some, you know, um, honor suicide type thing that, you know, you a trope that you see in, um, you know, samurai movies and stuff like that a lot, Sifuku? but you don't anticipate his grandpa to come out of his corpse. Um, so Nobody expects the grandpa zombie. The fight itself is really beautiful. Uh, Ishin has many like really massive sweeping attacks with a huge katana that you have to dodge. Uh, the fight takes place at the top of a cliff in a field of grass that's grown long enough to kind of go to s- sprout seed at the top, you know? And so a lot of the attacks that he's doing are shearing the top of the grasses away, and so you have like bits of that flying through the air as you're fighting him. Uh, and it's just like a really interesting visual style to the fight as you're going. After you do enough damage to him, he transitions to a second phase of the fight, um, and you, he takes up a spear along with the sword and radically changes his fighting style. So he's got suddenly he's got way more reach with this big spear that he's doing these big pokes and bigger sweeping attacks and things, harder to get away from. Um, harder to get in on to actually do attacks to him because you're usually not doing that much in the way of ranged attacks in this game you're a dude with a sword pretty much and mm-hmm. you gotta stab him you know eventually you gotta roll a lot and there's, there's rolling uh jumping is really important uh with the spear introduces um this mechanic in uh this game that is one of my favorite things um i'm trying to remember the name of it but i can't remember it uh so Pole vaulting no so there's certain spear attacks that you can't block and or it's not just spears but like thrusting attacks in this game that you can't block and if you dodge backwards they're still going to hit you you can dodge them side to side but 
The better option is you unlock this ability that allows you, when you see that attack coming out, you dash into the attack forward, and then your guy steps on the spear or the sword or everything, shoves it into the dirt, and then stabs them in the chest. And it is sick. It's so cool, and it feels incredible every single time you do it. Um, Makari counter, that's what it's called. Uh, and man, I just love that every single time you do that. And so using that ability that you learned way earlier in the game is absolutely critical here to dealing with this spear form that this guy has. Uh, you fight him enough in that phase, deal enough damage, and then you get a third phase where he starts calling lightning down on you, which looks incredible as it's like striking and you're trying to evade those. Uh, there's a different ability that you can get in this game where if you're in the air, so you're not grounded and the lightning strikes you, you can then redirect the lightning out of yourself in back into him and kind of like an avatar style thing, uh, which is also very cool. Uh, and he has a gun in this phase that he will pull out for certain moves, just like stab you a couple times and pull out a gun and shoot you, which is real mean. I don't, I don't care for it. Uh, this is a really hard fight, by the way. It took me a long time to beat. Uh, but you, once you finally whittle him down throughout all these phases, take out the last hit, take out the last bit of his health, uh, he kneels and kind of extends his, his head out and just shouts, do it at you uh, in Japanese. And then your character draws this sword, the mortal blade that you've obtained, which is the only sword that can slay immortals. And then you strike him down with that. And then as he dies, uh, he says, well done, Sekiro. And that's the fight. And it's really cool and it's really fun. And it's a really beautiful fight. And it's also aggressively weird how it all comes together. So that altogether earned it the number six spot on my list. How many attempts did it take for you to defeat this guy? I probably spent my first time probably like two hours on him trying to beat him. Holy crap. He's hard. He's really hard. Um, subsequent times through the game, I've played through this game like four or five times now since it came out. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite games. Uh, maybe a little bit easier as you learn the mechanics and get better at the fighting, you know? But Sure. Uh, truly. That sounds like a Dark Souls game. Truly an all-time great. I, here's, the, here's the thing. I love Dark Souls. The, fight, the combat in this game is better, in my opinion. A lot of people disagree with that. If you don't like parrying in a video game, that's kind of this whole game. I think parrying is overrated. I'd rather hack and slash. What if you parried a guy and that enabled you while he was you broke his posture by parrying and then you could kill him in one hit because you you messed him up. It, may, it really makes this your sword feel like a way more deadly weapon than swords usually do in video games. where You're like, I'm going to hit this guy 30 times and then he's dead because I did enough damage to his health. Sure. That but if it's just cool. like parry dead, parry dead, you're just ripping dudes up once you get good at that game. And it feels absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. It's, I'm going to save my comments because I, I feel like it might spoil one thing on my list if I say anything mm, about it. Interesting. Okay, well, why don't we jump over to your number six then? My number six is possibly on your list. You've definitely seen this movie. We have The Matrix, specifically okay. the Neo versus Mr. Smith subway fight. Excuse me, Agent Smith? Please? Uh, yes. Apologies. Please? Agent Smith. Uh, I have seen that movie. I do have a Matrix fight on my honorable mentions, but not this one. It's a good fight. I really though. like this fight. It is a great fight. And the main reason that it, it propelled itself to my top 10 
was this was the fight where he started to truly believe and started realizing his potential. Sure. Neo, right? I mean, he's the chosen one. Or is he? We don't know. I mean, he is. But is he? I find it best not to think about the larger story and lore of The Matrix because most of it's nonsense. But man, that first movie is incredible. It really is. And seeing Keanu Reeves in this role, I mean, he's fantastic. And I really feel like this fight propelled it into the classic that it has become. I mean, it has has the bullet dodge. This fight in particular does not have the bullet dodge. But the movie has the bullet dodge, has the, you know, holding up his hand to stop the bullets. And there's a lot of really iconic scenes in this that are overall related to fighting, fighting movies, or have been imitated so many times throughout other popular media that it's, a, it's an iconic movie at this point. But this fight in particular, like I said, the reason I chose this is because he's beginning to believe. And, you know, it, they say as much during the conversation. It's a 1v1 fight, right? Him versus Agent Smith. Mm-hmm. And it starts with them just staring at each other. And then suddenly they just launch at each other. They're diving, right? Guns blazing. And they're just pow, pow, pow. And it's all the the streams of bullets that you can see flying past each other or being redirected. The bullet time stuff. Oh, yeah, the bullet time, yeah. It's fantastic. And then they crash into each other, about to shoot each other in the head, and he says, empty. He says, so are you. And then they... He flips out of that, Neo does, and he stands up, and the other guy, Agent Smith, just backs up. They toss the guns aside, and they immediately go into hand-to-hand combat, right? There's, there's punches being thrown by Agent Smith. He punches through a pillar twice, and then Neo, punching back, breaks Mr. Smith's glasses, kicks Neo up and into the wall, and completely dents into the wall. And then as he's standing there back against the wall, Mr. Smith or Agent Smith comes up and he's just doing the side to side punches where it looks like he's throwing a hundred of them at once and it's just like back to back repetitive. They lock arms and Smith headbutts him. And then there's a rollout face kick and there's an awesome block by Neo and he punches him away like. Smith punches him away really, really hard, really far, and he spits blood. And that's when he's got like a little bit of that connection to his body back in the other world where he's spitting up blood. And Trinity's like, oh no, we need to help him. And she's like cleaning up blood. But it was at that point that Neo stands up and he poses with this over exaggerated arm swooping, like going into a karate pose. And he holds his hand out, like, palm forward, and then he turns his hand, and he beckons him toward him. Like, that that scene, in that one spot in particular, has also been imitated a ton. Well, that, that, that shot in particular is directly from specific kung fu movies from, like, the, the 80s and 90s. Exactly. And, it, so, and it's that's, that, that's a lot of the stuff in The Matrix, like the, the dojo scene. Of, oh, yeah. Um, uh of Morpheus and Neo is like one to one almost exactly um I'm trying to remember the movie right now I actually just watched it recently for the first time 
almost one to one with a fight with a kung fu. Is it movie. a Bruce Lee movie? Uh, no, it's the one I'm thinking of is, um, is it a Jet Li movie. Is that a Jackie Chan movie? It's maybe a Jackie Chan movie. I watched. I had a block where I watched a bunch of kung fu movies some months mm. ago. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Drunken Master. No. No, Drunken Master Two. Okay, we're not going to go into this because there's there's too many. But anyway, he beckons him forward, and at that point, he feels re-energized. He wraps his arms around him, and he headbutts, Neo headbutts Smith this time, right? Almost identical move to what he had just did to him. But then he he does the jump with the multiple kicks in the air, where he's just, you know, kind of bullet-timing his legs, basically. And after he kicks him a bunch, he goes into a punch, a block. Right, he punches him. Let me see if I can get this right. Neo punches Smith. Smith blocks, and then the fingers go out, and he hits him with his fingers right in the throat. That I thought that that's always a fun move, but that's also from older, sure, karate movies. But still, pretty cool to watch. And then he super punches into Neo's body after throwing him into the wall, drags him over, throws him at the wall next to the track. And of course, you hear the subway train coming. Mr. Smith jumps down and throws him into a chokehold. And he says, that is the sound of inevitability. That is the sound of your death. What? I said, Hugo Weaving's great. Yeah, right. Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. And he says, my name is Neo. And then he super jumps into the ceiling and he backflips onto the platform and Smith gets just destroyed by the train. And then Neo starts to jog away and the sub- subway suddenly grinds to a screeching halt and out walks Mr. S- uh, Agent Smith again in a brand new body. Pretty cool. Pretty great fight scene. It's a good lot one. of really good moves. I would consider it to be the second best fight in that movie. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Do you have the other one on your list somewhere in it's your top honor- ten? It's an honorable mention. Oh, okay. Which one would you say is the the, lobby the best? Fight. The lobby fight scene. The lobby fights. Oh, with oh okay. The, with yeah. the guns blazing and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably that, my favorite scene in that movie. That one's pretty good, but that that didn't feel like a, as much of a one-on-one fight to me. So that's why I was. Well, that's not one-on-one, I mean, on one, but it's not that many. On but it's a few of them versus yeah, a I, bunch it, of guys. <sighs> Okay, I, I guess I didn't even consider it because I was thinking more of individual sure. fights or smaller group fights, but... That's fair. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was the very, very first movie that I thought of when I thought about putting this list. I'm like, which Matrix fight am I putting in? Because there's got to be at least one. And so I look through the movies and I'm like, no, this one is the one that stands out the most to me. It has a lot of meaning behind it. It has a lot of the iconic moves and it has a great finisher with the train, which, you know, it's not him finishing it technically and he's not really finished, but at the same time, it was a really strong fight and I don't mind watching it multiple times. In fact, I watched it three times in preparation for this. So that's why it's my number six. Really, really good. Uh, I also located the, uh, the movie in question I was referring to earlier. At the dojo Which scene is. has some uh, just almost identical elements of it is uh, it is a Jackie Chan movie. This is Police Story Three Super Cop, ah. uh, and it's a fight between um, Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. I I watched several 
Jackie Chan fight scenes in preparation for this, Police Story was on that list. And I did bl- not include it, however, that because... That movie's really good. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. It's really good. But, that being said, why don't we hear about your number five? My number five, I am uh, fairly confident, could be a duplicate. Uh-oh. Uh, this is Inigo Montoya versus the Man in Black from The Princess Bride. Yeah, it's a duplicate. Yeah, I figured. Where's this at for you? The man in black. Do you mean the Dread Pirate Roberts? Uh, Perhaps. At this point in the movie, all we know him as is the man in black. Or do you mean Wesley? Oh, okay. Well, For me, this is number two. Wow, okay. Uh, I think the strengths here of this specific fight, the standouts to me, are the banter, of course, and uh, the classic adventure film style swordplay. Yeah, the banter might have been one of the highest rated, if not the highest rated banter across all of my, my picks. No, there's only one that was higher, actually. Yeah, this, but this is, this is the main very good. banter-focused one, so I'll, I'll dig into my description here. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so after climbing the Cliffs of Insanity with the captive Princess Buttercup, the crew of kidnappers sees that they are being pursued by a man in black. They cut the rope, but the man continues climbing. The Zinni and Fezzik move on with Buttercup while they leave the swordsman Inigo Montoya back to deal with their pursuer. Being a good person, Inigo speaks with the man in black and decides to allow him to reach the top of the cliff before fighting him, even aiding him by throwing down more of the rope. This is a bit of a trend on my list, you know, the guy who invites a fair fight, uh, who's like, oh, I want the fight to be fair um, before we start the fight, is always a good ingredient for a fight scene. Uh, so and uh, and this has that in spades. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're like, they're talking before he even gets up on the cliff. Yeah, he he allows the man in black to catch his breath, and they discuss Inigo's quest to slay the six fingered man who killed his father, and explains that he just works for Zini on the side to pay the bills. You know, it's not a lot of money in revenge. Yeah, and in the process of doing that, he literally hands him his sword. Like they're just so yeah, check respectful. The, check out of each how other. sick my sword is. Yeah. Oh man, look at this. That my dad made this. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, though, they're still on opposite sides, and they have to fight. So, Inigo says, You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. And then the man in black quips back, You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. Uh, so they take a couple of quick testing attacks at each other before settling into a classic Errol Flynn-style fencing duel. Uh, they banter back and forth about proper swordplay styles, both clearly enjoying fighting an opponent of such skill. Uh, Inigo then says, I admit that you are better than I am but I know something that you do not know. I am not Then left-handed. why are you smiling? Yeah. Uh, so I am not left-handed, right? He switches his, yeah. to his right hand and starts to get the upper hand in the fight uh, before the man in black reveals that he is also not left-handed. And then he instantly... You are amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. <laughs> uh, he instantly disarms Inigo, uh, and then Inigo does some fancy acrobatics to regain his sword, followed by even fancier acrobatics from the man in black. Yeah, throws his sword down, jumps off, and spins around that bar. Yep. Why is that bar there? Who knows? Doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, right. <laughs> For the purposes of this scene. <laughs> yeah, and then, then they have a bit of back and forth. And Nico goes, who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Yeah. And then uh, they launch back into fighting with ever fancier moves all the time before Nico is ultimately disarmed again and surrenders. And then instead of killing him, the man in black says, I would sooner destroy a stained glass window than an artist like yourself. However, I can't have you following me, so... And then he knocks him on the head. Yep. 
knocks him on the head, and he says, know that I have the nothing but the utmost, does he say, utmost respect for you, something like that. Sure. It, I, I think knocking him over the head is, it's a nice way to finish it, right? He's showing respect for him, but it's not like an amazing finisher move. And in fact, you might argue that the finisher move was the super twisty thing that he did at the end where he like flicked his cheek yeah, flings, and then flings knocked the sword, the sword down. Yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic fight. Very classic oh, yeah. fencing style sword fight. And yeah, like I, I said love before, the goes, banter. Goes right back to like Errol Flynn movies, you know. That it's just wonderful. Back and forth. Tete-a-tete, you know. Yep. I told you, it was my number two on the list. It was, it was one of the other ones that I thought of very early on. Like, oh, yeah, nope, I got to include that sort of fight. Yeah, it's I very was, good. I was very sure I wanted to include this. Yeah, it's an all-time classic. I think one of the most fun fights in any film. It's a great one. It is. It is, in fact, great. And uh, I, I get why you added it. I also get why you added it. Oh. You have my respect. All right, so that's my number five and your number two, Scott. So from here, mm-hmm, why don't mm-hmm. we get to your number five? My number five is from a movie as well. It is I've seen movies. Troy. Have you seen this movie? Troy? Troy? No, I have not. This is the Hector versus Achilles final fight. Featuring Eric Bana as Hector and Brad Pitt as Achilles. Now this fight, for those of you who don't know the story of Troy, it, the war started because of Helen of Troy, right? That was the main trope of why this war began. But the end of the war, specifically the culmination of the entire battle and this fight, was because Hector, Eric Bana, killed Achilles' friend, Patroclus. You don't kill people's friends. It's not how you do it. And there's a lot of other stuff that and, happens. Uh, but... And, you know, historically, very extremely likely lover. Yes, but... Not, we're not, not getting... the way that it's depicted in this movie. Canonically, certainly. in this movie, no. But... Yeah. I'm this also is a, what, 2002 gonna... movie? 2004, and I'm going to skip pretty much all the details of the film because that's not what's relevant here. I think the most relevant thing is for context, he killed his buddy. He's really pissed off. He wants to fight him and he's supposed to be like this big bad dude and he's an amazing fighter and I just realized that I completely forgot another fight that I should have considered. Oh no. And that pissed that pisses me off. Okay. Maybe so, it's on your honorable mentions down. It's got to be. All right, so for this one you know, it, kind of standard garb for the the era. They walk out. They've got holstered short short swords. They're both carrying a shield. They both have spears. They both have these giant Spartan-like helmets on. It's not a Spartan helmet, but you get what I'm saying. Kind of classic Roman, Greek-style helmets. Sure. And immediately Achilles starts taunting him, takes off his helmet, throws it to the side, and he's like, we're not doing this with helmets. You know, we're going to fight like men. And they're just going with shields and spears at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about Achilles' shield is it's not just a round shield. It is rounded, but it has a crescent-shaped notch in it, 
which allows him to place his spear in that crevice and hold up his shield as protection and stability for the spear. And it allows him to have additional maneuvers when going into fights. So at the start of this fight, it's very typical, right? They're testing each other. And Achilles lunges forward and he's jumping back and forth from each leg and throwing lunges of spears at him. And, you know, they're backing off each other. They're circling each other. Everybody's watching from up on the walls because they're outside the gates fighting this battle. And, you know, all the, the women that are in love with these people and the, the other interested parties from the rest of the movie. And I'm, I'm going to spare all the details on it because it doesn't matter. They're all watching. And what really stands out for me in this is the choreography and the finesse of it, because Brad Pitt almost looks like he's dancing. And some of the maneuvers that he portrays in this portion of it are almost ballet-like. So that being said, after lunging forward a few times, he pulls the spear almost like behind his back and he's holding his shield up and he's stabilizing the spear on that little arc. And he's, he's moving forward sideways about to attack him. And he lunges the spear forward and uh, he swings again with the spear, right? As if it were just a, a staff and slams into his shield and swings his shield up and snaps Hector's shield or excuse me, Hector's spear. So his spear completely is busted at this point. They continue fighting. He lunges a spear again. He blocks, Hector blocks the spear and breaks it. So now they both have broken spears. And so now they're resorting to uh, their shields and swords. And then they throw their shields aside and then they're just lunging at each other, sword fighting, you know, typical battle progression. But as they're doing it, it's, it's elegant. And they're swiping at each other, but like Brad Pitt's character, Achilles, as he's raising his leg on the one side, it's like, it's like he's going into that ballet maneuver again. And spinning and like dodging, and it, it, it almost looks beautiful. Like it was written by, and I have no context for this, and I probably should have looked it up, but it looks like it was written by a dance choreographer as opposed to a battle artist. Sure. And I just think that the way that it was done looks really, really good. And it's got enough creativity and variety in it. But it's the smoothness of it that really sends it for me. And that's why I ended up putting it on my list. Now, the finishing move in this case, right? After dodging a few times, uh, he sweeps up one of the broken heads of one of the spears and just jams it into Hector's shoulder. And at that point, he stops, and he's just looking at him. And he's, he falls to his knees, and Achilles holds his short sword up, puts his other hand behind it, and just jams it right into the center of his chest. Pretty cool. Definitely recommend you, uh, you watch this fight scene uh, despite this movie coming out around when i was seeing a lot of movies and certainly more movies in theaters than i was seeing now never got around to watching this one the overall movie i thought was fine not great 
maybe yeah, a six out of ten. Occasionally, you have a really standout great fight in a movie that otherwise kind of sucks. Maybe we're going to hear about that more elsewhere on my list. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I would say we're going to hear about it more on mine, but we're not. It'd be a lie. Interesting. Okay. But Hector versus Achilles, it's, it's beautiful. It's almost dance-like. And it, it's very satisfying, right? Because the good guy wins. I think you forgot about the part where Hector starts turning green and getting really big and strong. No, no, that happens, be, that happens after. I, I might be confusing Eric Bana movies. That was post-fight, okay. actually. So okay. not relevant to this conversation, and you shouldn't spoil it for people. That that's, was rude. That's fair. That's fair. This, this show is not about spoilers. I heard otherwise, but... Oh, well, maybe this show is about your number four. My number four, I'm doing a book this time. Not I've read books. the only one of these on my list. I don't think you've read this one. I have not read this book. My uh, entry here is Matt Cawthon versus Gawain and Galad from the book The Dragon Reborn, book three of The Wheel of Time. I have not uh, read this. The standout strengths here of this fight, I think, are uh, the kind of mismatched fight, uh, unfair fight uh, kind of thing, and surprise skill. So at this point in this book series, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's, this is early in book three. So How many total books are there? There's 15 total books in this series. Okay, so we're 20% through. It's a, it's a very long series. Uh, so, and, and frankly, I think this, is wh- this book is where the series like, really starts to get going. Actually, like, I like the first two books, don't get me wrong, but I think Dragon Reborn is a big step up from the previous two books. So, where we are at this point. What we've known Matt as up to this point in the series is that he is a farm boy that is primarily known for avoiding work, if at all possible. Um, he he's would much just rather, a farm boy. He would rather avoid work. Yeah, he's, he's way more into, like, gambling, let's say. Um, big gambler. So he's been on some adventures in the first two books with, some, with many of our other main characters, um, and he had discovered a dagger that turned out to be cursed in the first book. He became more corrupted by the dagger over time and was dep- and it was like more and more tied to his person and he needed it to like be stay alive over time. But early like in a, this book, sorry, like a golem type situation or kind of. Yeah, so there's there's similarities there for okay. sure. Um, but on a much more rapid scale, this is happening to him over the course of like a year as opposed uh, to golem over several you hundred know, hundreds of years. Yeah. So. Early in this book, he is separated from the dagger and cured of the kind of influence of it by a sisterhood of magic users known as the Aes Sedai. So notably, this is the first chapter in the series that we get from Matt's perspective. We don't get any perspective chapters with him in the first two books, and this is the very first one we get from him in the series overall. So he regains consciousness after the whole, because he's basically been unconscious because the influence of the dagger is like taking him over for like weeks at this point. They get him to the White Tower where the Aes Sedai are, and they cure him of it. So he regains consciousness for the first time in this place he's never been to before, so he decides to kind of explore around and see, you know, what's around here, um, despite the fact that he's been basically significantly weakened by the experience of being healed of this. Uh, Matt comes across the training grounds where he finds the princes of the nearby kingdom of Andor being trained by the master of master at arms of the tower. So 
Matt's, like I said before, Matt's a bit of a gambler. Um, and for some reason, he has, on a whim, he decides to challenge them to a friendly duel. The two of them with their swords versus him with only a quarterstaff. Matt then says a saying that he's fond of. It's time to toss the dice you know, on the gambler theme here. Mm-hmm, but for mm-hmm. some reason, unbeknownst to everyone, including himself, he speaks it in the old tongue, which is a language that he doesn't know, which is weird. But the master uh. at arms recognizes that. Gawain and Galad decline the bet, saying that, you know, this would be unfair. We're very skilled swordsmen, and the two of us with our swords versus you just a quarterstaff? Come on, that's not fair. Uh, we don't want to, like, take your money, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but the Master at Arms is intrigued by this and says he's going to cover the bet if Matt loses. So, uh, what we know about Matt's capabilities up to this point in the book is, like, he was trained in fighting with the staff by his father, but, um, not like, you know, to like, you know, thunk a guy in the head if he's trying to steal one of your sheep kind of a thing, you know, in a very rural farm town that he grew up in, basically. Sure. Uh, you know, he's very, he's, he's very good, basic yeah, abilities. He's, he's yeah. a very good shot with a bow, you know, but like, and we haven't seen him do much with his staff up to this point in the series. However, in this fight, he fights better than he ever has before, almost sort of falling into a kind of a battle trance. He, this and this is not a long fight here. I've got multiple fights on my list that like aren't very long. Um, obviously, this is a book, so it's not really like a time scale. But uh, this like it's quick. He it basically instantly knocks Gawain out of the fight with a blow to the head um, and knocks him out. Uh, and then from there, he's internally thinking, "I gotta go faster. I'm gonna run out of energy because I am messed up from this healing thing." Uh, so he acts quickly to try to end the fight. Uh, really attacking rapidly with a furious set of blows that Galad is barely able to parry away in time with his sword and just trying to like beat the hell out of him, you know. Uh, Matt uses up all his remaining strength to swiftly strike Galad four times in rapid succession, knocking him down, and then instinctually moves to crush Galad's throat with a killing blow before kind of coming to himself and stopping. So Galad did not expect this at all, No, right? he, just, mean... he just whoops him. Like, the whole fight if we had seen it to, like play out in real time is probably like less than a minute. It's, uh, it's really cool to see this character we've become familiar with, find this kind of mysterious ability within himself that he doesn't understand and just whoop the asses of a couple of fairly arrogant princes in the process. Okay. Uh, Matt is one of my favorite characters across all fiction. I just absolutely love him. He's maybe my favorite character in this series overall. Uh, and this is the moment that I think really marks where I start to really love the character. So that's my number four. It's because a, he's being corrupted. Scene. You love well, the corrupted guy. Well, he's, he's, he's been separated from the corruption at this point, but maybe there's other stuff going on with him that nobody understands yet and may, might be revealed over the course of the series. Who knows? Probably not. That doesn't seem Probably right. not. Probably not. This is, this is a very shallow character, right? Yeah. He just walks for the next, like, you know, 12 books. Yeah, he really doesn't do much. Yeah, Wheel of Time's hard for me to recommend to people, to, to like, everyone, because it's 15 books long, which is a massive time investment. And not all the books are good, but most of them are, and uh, there's a ton of just really incredible scenes across these. For the people who have read this, not, not me, right? But for the people who have read it, I've heard feedback that it feels like nerd homework in a lot of cases. Uh, it depends on it's so long. Depends on the type of reader you are. I'm the type of person who really likes extensive world building and lore and stuff like that. And 
let me tell you what, Wheel of Time has that in spades. And not everyone likes that, and that's fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. They're wrong. We're right. We are the... I mean, you are the ones... You haven't read this either. No, that's true. But we're the definitive list makers, and that so... That is true. That is true. Pretty sure whatever we say is, is truth. Well, uh, so that's my number four. Scott, what's your number four? So in the Marvel comic universe, there are a lot of options for fights. The MCU, Mm -hmm. if you will. More battles, I would say, than anything else. Obviously, Infinity War and Endgame and... Yeah, we get into some pretty large-scale battles in those Avengers movies, certainly. You could probably make an argument for when they fight Ultron, but... Yeah. It's a pretty subpar Avenger movie overall. Yeah, I and didn't I didn't love them. There's I'll tell you what, there's some good there's some great fights in in the MCU. None of them made my list. Uh but there's a whole lot of mediocre fights in the MCU also. So for me because they are they almost feel very similar after a while, oh, right? There's for sure. There's a style when it comes to Marvel fights in most cases and Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy breaks that mold, but that's not what I have on my list. I have this one specifically because of the emotional connection that happens during this fight. And so we're going to go to Civil War, Captain America Civil War, and we are going to look at Iron Man versus Captain America and Bucky. Interesting. And this fight... Another two-on-one fight. It is. It is also the fight where... Like shortly after Tony knows that Bucky was the one that killed his parents. And whether he, w- he actually did it or not, or was being controlled, that's kind of irrelevant here because Tony's pissed off and he's sure. blaming Bucky. Yeah. And of course he's got his own issues to deal with here, but, and, and it's immensely worse because up to this point, it's all been gold, right? Mm-hmm. All the Avengers coming together. I mean, there's been some bickering and banter and whatnot, but largely they've come together. They've become very close. They're really growing as a, a team. And Captain now has to choose between his new friends and his old friends, or right and wrong. And it it's pretty emotional. Captain America Civil War kind of felt like another Avengers movie in some sense. Sure. Tonic Which is because ton, yeah, exactly, tons of characters. But Spider-Man Civil War might time. be one of the best in in all of that franchise. I'd say it's a top ten, certainly. I was gonna say top five for sure. But Maybe it might get there. Probably around like five or six for me. Maybe seven. With that being said, though, this fight maybe a different Tony list someday. <laughs> yeah, Tony knows, right? Mm-hmm. Bucky killed his parents. That's a big deal, and. So now it's it starts off right Captain Iron Man going 1v1. Bucky's using his Bucky's using the uh the shield to attack Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um the two of them together they're they're tossing the shield around, they're redirecting blows. Uh Bucky's doing his best to disable Iron Man's functionality, which is a combination of his arm crushing like Tony's hand or like breaking pieces of it so that he can uh, disable bullet or not bullets, uh, the, the blasters out of the palms of his hand or 
redirecting the missiles that shoot out of the tops of his forearms. And, you know, Bucky's arm is just too strong and until he gets blown off. So he, uh, he's trying to destroy the center arc reactor piece, the mini arc reactor piece in the center of Iron Man's chest. And that keeps Iron him Man, alive. yeah. Burst of energy blows his arm off, which is, is pretty cool. And then there's, of course, the Iron Man blast versus Captain Shield kind of like iconic view of the thing, the two using their their main weapons or accompaniments. And, uh, of course, it, uh, Cap hits him with the, but he's my friend. Right, because Tony wants to kill Bucky at this point. Tony says, so was I. And then, you know, they're continuing to fight back and forth, and uh, Iron uh, Tony, of course, knocks him down one more time. He says, stay down, final warning. And, of course, Cap gets back up and says his iconic line, I could do this all day. And, of course, they continue fighting back and forth, and ultimately... Cap, uh, Captain takes his shield and uses it more like a, a blade and just wedges the shield straight into the arc reactor and completely disables the suit. And, uh, it's a big hit. Yeah. That was a pretty solid, and he, I think he hits it again to really hammer it home. And it was such an emotional fight, right? It was, Tony feels like he's fighting for, vengeance for his parents and and trying to do what's right for what he thinks is the future of the avengers and captain's trying to save his friend and do what he thinks is right right this is this is the epitome of the title of the movie this is the civil war it's the two of them head to head picking sides and at that point since the suit's disabled. Captain picks up Bucky and they start limping out of there and Tony yells, you don't deserve it. My father made that shield. Cap pauses. And he just drops the shield. And then they hobble away. Man, that was, that was a strong scene. And for anybody who had been paying attention to all of the Marvel movies up to that point, I mean, this is, that's phase two, I think. Yeah. And you knew what this fight meant. You knew everything that had happened up to this point and what this built up to. And this no, was this the crucible three. moment. This is phase Was three. it phase three? Yeah. Beginning of phase after, three, maybe? Because it's after Avengers 2. Um, after after Ultron? Ultron? Okay. And Ultron ends phase two, if I remember. Right. right. Okay, that makes sense, right? And the heroes fall. It's part of the hero's journey. Uh, I I I did not have this one on my honorable mentions, but all of my MCU entries on my honorable mentions are Captain America fights. So I think those are kind of consistently some of the best fights in the series or in the in the franchise uh, because they're, they're creative because they're a bit more down to earth. They're less like um, I think a, a standout for me of a movie that I love, Black Panther. The end fight of that movie oh, yeah. sucks. It's just like a CGI mess of just like these guys in these suits just kind of just running at action each other. figures smashing into each other over and over again that like a lot of MCU uh, fights can devolve into. 
Uh, whereas I think your Captain America ones are just like, he's like a dude that you, you need, uh, that, that, the the fights are able to feel a little bit more choreographed, feel a bit more real, um, than some of these big CGI fests we get into. Not that those can't be good because there's certainly some good ones in the MCU, but, uh, I think generally more consistently, uh, some of these more down to earth fights are a little bit better. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. This one in particular was the one that I thought of, and it was actually recommended to me by someone else as well, so that's when I gave it another look, and I'm like, yeah, it's the, it's the emotional part that really sells it for me. There, there's just so much buildup. There's a lot on the line. People are picking sides, and it feels like the Avengers are falling apart, and they're, they're losing sight of the, the focus of the true goal which is defeating Thanos. So yeah, number four, strong pick. Makes me feel it right in the feels. I, uh, Before we go to your number three, do we want to take a short break for the listener? Yeah, let's do it. We'll come back in a little bit here with our one through threes. So stick around, folks. Well, hi there. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you have show ideas or comments, you should reach out to us at Stupid Sequence on Twitter. If we're checking our Twitter. Are we checking our Twitter? Yeah. Okay. Josh is checking our Twitter. Or you could email us. You know, we have an email address, stupidsequence at gmail.com. We occasionally check that. We don't really have much reason to check it right now. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, these two seem like good dudes, I am going to reach out. You should. I encourage it. Give us suggestions. We might take them. No promises. Or you might hear, no promises. We might, we might reference the fact that you gave us suggestions, though. Yeah, we'll credit on, you. On a future episode. Give us, because... give us a name or uh, like a username or however you want to say it. We'll, if we use your idea, we'll credit you. Absolutely. Give us your, your name or handle or whatever. You could have your name read on this here podcast. Oh my gosh, you could become famous across all ten people that listen with semi-regular. We, we got more right? than ten now. Semi-regularity. We're growing slowly. We're growing quickly compared to where we started. That's true. But you know what? The best way to grow? Finish this conversation. What's your number three? My number three is... From a uh, franchise that we may have talked about once or twice before. Maybe you've Uh-oh. heard of the, the, the Star Wars? Mm. Is that... Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know that. Yep. This is from... Uh, so, you might think this is the first movie, but actually it was released many years later. Mm. So, even though it's called Episode One: The Phantom Menace, it mm. actually came out, like, 20-something years later. From episode four, A New Hope. It's a little a little advanced. You know, See, now I'm, I'm confused. Tough to keep track of. But uh, anyway, I'm titling this fight after the song this fight after the song that uh plays during it. This is the duel of the fates. You know the one. Uh, this is my number ten. Yeah, that's uh my all time favorite fight in Star Wars. Same. Uh, the strength of this fight uh, has to be said. Number one, the music. 
because damn. Yeah, because the banter sucks. Uh, there isn't any. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and <laughs> but then the music makes up the, for it. The other bum, strength bum, is bum, 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 bum. surprises. Yes. Uh, another great ingredient in a good fight scene. So I would say another strength is choreography. Yeah. Because for sure. the guy that plays Darth Maul, whose name evades me at the moment, is incredible. Ray. Ray I want to say Ray something. Anyway. Ray great. something. You know him. Just amazing. Ray Park. Plus the. Yeah. In that Dual movie, lightsabers. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, you were saying? Anyway, well, Ray Park, uh, I think Ray Park is just the, the, the physical actor. I believe his voice is someone else. Um, not that he says a lot of lines, but still. Uh, so, uh, definitely, lightsaber fight had to make it somewhere on my list. Absolutely mandatory. And this one is very narrowly my favorite one. You'll hear about the other, my, my runner-up on my honorable mentions. Mm. Is so, it the Yoda Dooku fight? That sure isn't. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, a confrontation at so this is a confrontation at the very end of an otherwise like mediocre to bad film, depending on where you're coming from and your relationship to it. Uh, oh, Phantom think, Menace. I don't think great most film. people keep going. I don't think most people consider this movie to be a great film. No, uh, this is pod racing. All right. This scene features the two Jedi, Qui Gon Jinn and Obi Wan Kenobi, versus the Sith Lord Darth Maul. Uh, Maul has been menacing throughout the movie in various scenes, including a duel with Qui-Gon on the planet Tatooine, where he outmatched the Jedi. So at the start of this fight, however, being faced with two Jedi, uh, Maul reveals that he actually has a double-bladed lightsaber that holds it out in front of him, and the blade extends from the other side of the lightsaber. And boy, if you didn't know that existed... If you didn't know there was a possibility before, that was a very exciting moment for, let's say, like, uh, 11-year-old me watching this movie. Um, not Didn't love the rest of this movie, but man, that scene, I was like, okay, double-bladed lightsaber, let's go. It's pretty badass. Oh, yeah. Uh, so using this, Maul is able to keep pace, fighting two opponents at once, leading them from a hangar bay to some sort of weird room with massive chasms and giant energy pillars. And a bunch of walkways and shit over the, the different chasms. Uh, Maul is able to knock Obi-Wan off of a narrow walkway down to one far below before Qui-Gon does the same to Maul before jumping down after him. Uh, Qui-Gon forces Maul to the opening of a narrow hallway on the other side of the room as Obi-Wan leaps up to rejoin the fight. So this hallway is filled with force fields that turn off and on at different intervals. And Which Maul, I never understood why. What, yeah, what is the purpose what, what of that? What are any of these rooms? Who knows? They look cool, though. <laughs> I don't think they George Circus cares. They add an element to this fight. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're critical. This hallway specifically is critical to how this but fight what, plays out. What are they actually for? Unclear. It seems uh, un... Like, just force fields in between these two Just random rooms doors for, closing, basically. Who knows? Uh, but you can see through the force fields, which is important here. So yeah. Qui-Gon and Darth Maul are fighting their way through the, through the, hall, uh, th- through the hallway, and Obi-Wan is running up behind to try to get, get in the action, you know? But then the force fields start turning on, and Obi-Wan is trapped just outside the hallway, and Qui-Gon and Darth Maul are several force fields in, um, trapped in different chambers. Right. Uh, so Adjacent. 
Yes, right next to each other. So Maul is angrily pacing around and kind of leers at Qui-Gon through the force field, who merely kneels and meditates during the um, 30 seconds And he tests or the so. force field, right? He yeah, touches Maul it with tests his it with the lightsaber. Not get, you're not getting through it. In fact, it pulls his lightsaber back in, or maybe he pulls it back in. I never understood which caused which there. I think he's I, just I thought maybe tapping he it tapped it times. and it just yeah. pulled itself back in because it was like, I, I think he, energy force. No, he's he's tapping it and then he's like oh i can't get through this so he turns it off mm. i think that's what's happening there yeah gotta preserve your lightsaber energy yeah that, that is a that is a trend of uh, in star wars of any time the lightsaber is not being actively used pretty much always being shut off which i imagine is more for saving on the effects budget more than anything else so but now yeah. qui-gon kneeling meditating right uh so the force fields uh so uh, yeah uh uh Obi-Wan's at the end of the hallway, and he's frantic to kind of rejoin his master and help out in the fight. Then the force field opens. Uh, Qui-Gon instantly springs up to attack, driving Maul into a large round chamber with a bottomless pit in the center. Obi-Wan runs to join the fight, but the last force field closes just before he can get there, and he's forced to watch as the duel continues one-on-one. Question, why didn't he use force speed to Listen. easily get through that? Listen. If you want George Lucas to give a shit about consistency and how force abilities are used throughout all of Star Wars, he does not care. He doesn't care about Star Wars lore. He doesn't care how anything that works. He doesn't call them lightsabers. He calls them laser swords. George Lucas does not care. <laughs> he just wants to so make it's... whatever scene he wants to make. I'm going to okay. make a brief diversion here to um, a, scene, uh, uh, so a behind-the-scenes thing from... Uh, a, a sp- particular episode of the Clone Wars that features a stealth ship in it. In one of the movies, there's a specific line that says that this kind of stealth ship cannot exist and has never existed in Star Wars. And so when George Lucas is participating in writing this episode of Clone Wars, it comes up with this idea. Um, someone in the writing team goes, well, George, you had this line in this other movie where you said this isn't possible and like the ship can't do that. And George Lucas looks at him and goes, well, this one can because <laughs> he doesn't care. He just wants to write whatever story he feels like, uh, which maybe you know has what? led to Star Wars being a little bit of a mess in places. But, you know, I applaud him. I applaud sure. him for his his persistence and just I don't give a f- attitude and you know what he's gonna do what he wants to do good for him so back to the fight uh qui-gon is just not able to keep up with maul's greater speed and the two lightsaber blades and eventually Mm -hmm. maul is able to stun him with a strike to the head before stabbing him through the stomach and killing him uh obi-wan of course obi-wan very upset no uh one of many no that was a great ewan mcgregor yeah, uh, your imitation spot on. Uh, so he screams while uh, Maul kind of struts in front of him on the other side of the forest field, being like, "Yeah, that's right. I just killed Taunting the master." Him. Yeah, uh, not actually saying anything, but just kind of menacing. You know. Finally, well, the his, his species or race Zabrak. of yeah, Zabrak is one of the most menacing looking ones that they possibly could have chosen. I mean, he looks like he's a got demon. horns. Yes. Finally. The force field drops, Obi-Wan just instantly, furiously rushing in with a flurry of attacks, eventually cutting Maul's lightsaber hilt in half and roosting down to the standard one-on-one blade-on-one blade. Let's go. 
Obi-Wan manages to keep up the offensive until Maul uses a for- the Force to push Obi-Wan into the pit, causing him to drop his lightsaber on the ground before going over the ledge and grabbing a handhold that's like six feet below the edge of the pit. Uh, sneering at him, Maul kicks Obi-Wan's lightsaber into the pit. He begins taunting him by sending sprays of sparks by striking the edge of the pit with his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then gathering all of his strength and will and, the, the, and connecting with the force, Obi-Wan surprises Maul by fleeing himself up into the air, over his head, and onto the, onto the ground. Force Pretty sweet pulling, backflip, or like oh, yeah. flip maneuver. Pull, force pulls Qui-Gon's lightsaber into his hand and then cuts Maul in half in a fluid motion. And then we see the look of disbelief on Maul's face as his two halves tumble away into the pit. But we didn't even know we cut him in half immediately because right. he just fall like we see him uh, like he got injured and then he falls into the pit and then his body separates and you're like, yeah. oh, he sliced him in half. Yeah, it's very surprise. Good. And again, um, just to, to bring it back to what we talked about earlier, the track here, uh, Duel of the Fates, is uh, I think John Williams greatest uh, composition ever. It's so good. <laughs> It's such it very good. Everything about this scene is operating on such a higher level than anything else in this entire movie. It is maybe the greatest quality disparity within a movie that I've ever seen in my life. Because mm. this movie no. ain't great. It, <laughs> There's a lot of bad stuff in this movie. I don't know about that. A lot Jar-Jar of Binks, a lot of bad classic, action scenes in this movie character. too. It's just like boring action scenes elsewhere. Like the space battle stuff in this movie isn't very good. The, the lightsaber fight with Qui-Gon and Maul earlier is fine, but it's nothing mm. to write home about really. Um, the, you know. the, uh, firefighting at the, uh, palace, right? I sure. think, uh, yeah, the, the CGI that, mess. That's the Gungans fighting the battle droids. Yeah, just so many with those blue sphere things. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. so many battles in this movie and fight scenes that just, don't work and then this one is just flawlessly executed it's so good what about the battle between the fish and the submersible that they're driving to get to where they need to go i would counter with the battle between the fish and the bigger fish fish. (laughs) there's always a bigger there's always a bigger fish all right but yeah that's that's a great scene that is my number three the duel of the fates from star wars episode one the phantom menace and what my number 10 is your number three. My number three, also something we've referenced multiple times on this show, and I will continue to look for more excuses to bring up this show. We have Avatar The Last Airbender, sure. the TV show entry. I could have right. had, I, this could have made my honorable mentions. I didn't think of this. Did you have Zuko and Katara versus Azula? I did not have anything on this list. Well, that is unfortunate because this fight is phenomenal. And I, as an honorable mention runner up, I'll say the Aang versus Fire Lord Ozai fight, while pretty darn good and overall very satisfying, especially the ending. I the strength there I is feel the like narrative. this one is better. This the, one feels like a, it, that feels like an inevitability. This one feels more like closure on a number of chapters that were kind of a side quest throughout this entire sure. uh, t- entire TV show, right? Because man, Azula sucks. Yeah, she is an animated character, but I really hated her. There's oh, yeah. not very many 
children's cartoon animated characters that I truly despise. But she just does it so well. And at that point, she's, she's, she's kind of descended. She's descended into madness even sure. more and has, yeah, become unhinged. And so her, her about to be crowned as Fire Lord, or, and she gives them a look like, and they're like, I mean, and they were about to correct themselves. And what, what is the equivalent for Lord? She would be the fire lady, Lord lady. Yeah, I is okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Fire lady. It just doesn't have as much of a ring to it. She should stick with Lord. But that being said, she was about to be crowned, and uh, Zuko Zuko shows up and uh, says he'd like to fight her for the crown in an Agni Kai, which is the traditional Fire Nation. 1v1 duel uh, and of course he had fought one at least one before against his father in which case his uh, father burned his face real bad and that's why he has a scar Agni Kai great name Agni Kai yes and I, I'm sure it's a it good has like ritual name. name it is and it it works out perfectly here because at that point you know Katara side by side with Zuko is, is ready to fight against Azula and Azula says, oh, you want to you wanna fight me, Agni Kai, for this? And Zuko's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take her. You know, it's no problem. Katara's like, no, she's baiting you. She knows she can't take both of us. And Zuko's like, no, it, it's okay. There's something off about her. Something's not quite right. And you can see, like, the twitching in her eye and the way she's kind of holding her posture. Something is not right. And Azula is... Just crazy at this point. So they get into the battle. They start throwing fire. All of her fire is blue, which just kind of adds to the elements of this fight. Blue fire is hotter. Really cool. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And so Zuko throwing fire as well. They they just general exchange. Right. About to hit each other. Kick. Fight. Twirl around. Up in the air. Flying around and. Her abilities with the fire allow her to fly, right? Pushing like jets behind her, basically. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a lot of back and forth. Pretty typical fighting as far as this show is concerned. Yeah, the bending fights in this show tend to follow like a particular rhythm. Yeah, and which is not a criticism. Know. It's good, um, but yeah, it's the, I mean that part portion of the fight is nothing to write home about. But it's the next portion, right? She's about to call forth on her higher ability of fire bending, which is lightning bending, and she's going to direct it at Zuko, and he's ready because he's learned how to deal with it. But instead, she targets Katara, who just shows up suddenly, like, in the background. Like, she was off to the side, but for whatever reason, got closer during just this portion of the fight, and I don't... I just She kind of stumbles into frame and then becomes a target, and I thought that was kind of silly. I, I noticed it on a rewatch. But that being said, Azula about to direct the lightning at Katara and Zuko diving save to make sure that she's okay uh, and kind of shrivels up into a ball and he's just glowing with electricity because he got hit and he's very badly injured. And so Katara goes to heal him in some manner and she's attacked and now they're fighting and she's using the water in her pouch to uh, kind of ice 
sail away, creating these ice arcing waves that she's pushing herself against and trying to escape against Azula and going back and forth and, and more similar bending fighting style. And, you know, at this point, Azula is just taunting her, throwing fireballs at her, uh, throwing more lightning at her. And Katara slips underneath one of these canopy or like covered areas and she notices there's a stream underneath. And so she, dodging the attack, hides under there, taunts her to come in there. And as she comes, as Azula comes in there to attack Katara, she immediately bursts all of the water from beneath and freezes it. And so they're both trapped in this perfect ice patch. And Azula's fingers, about to attack her, are pointed right at her face, maybe an inch away. And so she was seconds away from death or at least severe injury and Katara had the foresight to grab some chains uh, uses her breath to kind of relieve some of the the water around her manipulates the chains to completely pull her Azula's arms behind her and tie her down and then drops all the water and the fight is over and at that point, it's like, that was great. That was just a phenomenal way to end this, right? She's using her own madness against her. She turned her against herself. Katara saves the day after Zuko fails in the initial Agni Kai battle, which, I don't know, maybe, maybe Azula is still the Fire Lord or Fire Lady, I guess, at this point, based on that. But at that point, she's all chained up. She has no means of getting out. She is completely mad, and she is breathing fire, just literally breathing fire as she's trying to wiggle out of the chains. And it's like thrashing around. Th- yeah, exactly. And I, I just felt like that whole culmination was very satisfying. I really liked the way the fight portrayed it really is an advanced set of tactics that they use throughout a lot of the fights, things that they learned throughout the, the last three books, as it were. And ultimately, it's just, it was the right way for this to end. Azula doesn't die, per se, uh, at least not there. She, she's just imprisoned. And uh, it was her own madness that was her undoing. Very fitting. Very satisfying. Yeah. I think Incredible it's in, fight. It's in that last season that I think we really established. Like, I love Zuko as a character. He's great. Aang, of course. The whole gang, gang is, is is excellent. But, like, that last season, I think, is what solidifies, like, Katara is the true badass of the show. Oh, yeah. Healing powers, blood-bending abilities. Yeah. She's, she's got an attitude. She yeah. really comes into her own in that season. Uh, also of note, you are correct. The term Agni Kai is uh, existing words. Uh, Agni is the is a Sanskrit word that means both fire and the deity which presides over fire. And then Kai is a Japanese word for meeting. So it literally translates to uh, fire, fire meeting. Fire meeting. Uh, and in fact, usually, uh, in apparently in Japanese, Kai is usually used in the sense of like a business meeting. That's perfect. So. Hmm. There you I'm go. gonna start calling meetings at work that I, I know are going to be 
angry or, or full of fire. Agni Kai's. Agni Kai. It's yeah, a good idea. Anyway, you've seen this. You know how awesome it was. It's very Hopefully good. I did a good enough job explaining why it was important and the culmination of the entire gang adventure. And yeah, it's really like choice. it. Azula's crazy. Zuko's awesome. Katara's a badass. Yep. Another two-on-one, as it were. Yep. Uh, and, and you know my number two. There's going to be Eagle more Montoya of that. versus the Man in Black. So what's your number two? My number two is uh so unfortunately i told you beforehand unfortunately i know that you are currently reading a book that is uh i have been known the first to read. book of the stormlight archive the way of kings and unfortunately i'm gonna have to get a little spoilery for you i've, I've tried to be creative in how i described the scene to spoil as little as possible outside of the scene itself we are getting a little spoilery here i am talking about the arena duel from book two of Stormlight, Words of Radiance. It's okay. I've made peace with it. I accept that I'm not as caught up as I should have been years ago. I'm working my way through it. Feel free to do what you're going to do, but I appreciate that you have pulled it back a little bit for my own sake. So I think the strengths of this fight scene are uh, narrative twists and cool blade work uh so i have to do some baseline uh information on stormlight to make this understandable to anyone who hasn't read those books so many of our protagonists are from the kingdom of alethkar which is an extremely warlike nation on this world that's loosely based on genghis khan era mongolia part of their success in war comes from having a larger quantity of shard blades and shard plate than most other nations now what are shard blades and shard plate? Shard blades are magical swords that are incredibly light, despite usually being around six feet in length. So these are massive great sword kind of things, but they can be wielded very easily and quickly because they're uh, this whatever metal they're made from is exceptionally light and strong. Uh, they can be bonded by a person who can dismiss the blade away to nothingness and then resummoning it to their hands. Although this summoning process takes 10 heart, always takes exactly 10 heartbeats for the blade to manifest in your hand. Shard blades can also cut nearly anything except another shard blade or shard plate. Uh, when the blade passes through flesh, though, it doesn't physically damage it, but it severs the soul from the body at that location. So, for example, if you had a shard blade pass through the, your, uh, your arm at the elbow, you could no longer move you had no control for the, the flesh remains alive but you have no control over anything past your elbow right your which forearm is, your hand which is your messed wrist. up so uh shard plate then is armor made from a similar material it also grants enhanced strength and speed to its bearer um shard plate can be cracked and broken by like repeated strong hits from either a shard blade or just something else hitting it very hard, um, but it really takes a lot of effort to do that. The last important baseline thing to note here is that these can't be made anymore. The knowledge of how to build, how to you know forge these or whatever has been lost. So what's out there is out there. So they're like the most valuable thing in the world, basically. So with all that in mind. Yes. Uh, the scene we're talking about is, focuses on one Adolin Colin, 
who is the nephew to the king of Alethkar. Um, he had previously agreed to a full shard, you know, sword, shard plate, shard blades uh, duel with another nobleman to defend his father's honor. Uh, Adolin is one of the most skilled duelists in the kingdom, so he's very confident that he's going to win this. You know, he knows the other guy's good, but he's better, right? So, when the duel is set to begin, though, he is greeted by not one, but four opponents. Uh, when he had made his challenge, he had thoughtlessly worded it poorly to, uh, that, uh, opened the door for basically this as a loophole under what the established rules are. So his opponent is coming in with three other guys to take him on. The duel must go on now, uh, based on the established rules of all this stuff, but he's granted the opportunity to get another three fighters to stand with him. However, no one was prepared for this to happen, so no one's there, almost no one is there that is able or willing to help. Um, the only person that he's got is his brother, Renarin. Renarin's got plate and blade, but he is not really much of a fighter at all. But he's like, I'm going to stand with my brother. The duel begins. And they're just hopelessly outmatched. You know, Adolin is incredibly skilled, but like Renarin's not doing much. And uh, four guys is a lot of guys to take on in a fight. Uh, one of the opponents basically locks down Renarin, just not like trying to kill him or anything, but just keeping him busy to keep him away from helping Adolin. So Adolin has to fight three on one, which is, it's just too much for him. He just cannot keep up with this. He's trying really hard but he's just getting he's getting beat up he's taking a lot of hits on the shard plate uh adolin attempts to yield the fight since the consequence of losing the fight which of yielding which would be he and renarin lose the lose his plate and blade to his opponent uh that consequence is better than dying however his opponent says to before you can do it his opponent goes hey we're gonna kill your brother if you yield you gotta keep fighting or we're gonna kill him so he throws himself into it and keeps going. Uh, the crowd is like becoming a little unsettled, noticing like, okay, this is, this is weird. This is not normal. Uh, and their father's there, and he's begging those who are in the crowd uh, for anyone willing to help. But none, there are other people there with the arms necessary, but no one is willing. Until a another character who we are familiar with in the series at this point a slave named Kaladin who is also present decides that mm. he needs to help mm. Kaladin has no plate he has no blade he is only able to arm himself with just a regular wooden wooden spear metal you know standard you know steel tip spear now it's important to note Kaladin is a former soldier who is an incredibly skilled and determined spear fighter uh, and on top of that, he has a bit of an edge. There's some uh, kind of latent magical abilities that he has kept secret from everyone else. Hmm. Kaladin jumps down into the arena and everyone's like, what is this guy doing? Nobody, almost no one there knows who he is because he's just a slave. But he's going in because he's like, this is the right thing to do. Uh, this is unfair what's been done here. Adolin does know him at this point and is like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He's like, look, I got to help. I'm an idiot, but I got to help. And Adolin <laughs> doesn't know about Kaladin's abilities. No, he saying. does not. Okay. No. Uh, Kaladin goes, all right, I'm going to do what I can. He tries to keep one of the three people that Adolin is fighting busy and keep him away from Adolin. 
And then once Adolin is going two on one, he's fine. He can hold him. He's good enough that he can he can go two on one. Not not a problem. Uh, Kaladin in a desperate attack. He's just got the the spear cannot do anything to shard plate. And like the the guy with the shard blade swings it and literally just like cuts the end of the spear off. And Kaladin's like, well, man, I got nothing here. So he does what he can, and he magically flings himself at uh with a big kick into his opponent and hard enough to crack the shard plate but he breaks his legs in the process he hits so hard uh fortunately he's able to magically heal his injury uh surreptitiously and uh while his opponent is distracted Adolin then seizes on the opportunity to strike where the shattered part was and fully breaks part of the armor open uh, Kaladin is then able to force the injured man to yield, and now it's three on three, baby. Here we go. From here continues an absolutely incredible fight that I won't detail all of because I've already gone on too long here. But uh, I will mention that near the end of the fight, Renarin has been knocked down. One of the opponents is about to deal a killing blow against him. Kaladin leaps in to defend him, defend Renarin, despite not having any real way to defend himself at all. So the attacker then swings to strike at Kaladin instead, just like top to bottom, cut him in half kind of thing. And Kaladin's able to save himself by snapping his hands together and catching the blade, the sides of the blade with his palms. Uh, from there, they're able to successfully end the fight and win. Uh, but and there's some incredibly great narrative stuff that plays out immediately after this. I probably haven't done describing this fight justice, you know, describing this fight. Haven't done it justice, but man. This is just an incredible read in the book. One of my favorite scenes from this author, Brandon Sanderson, uh, who already is one who is just my favorite author for really well done fight scenes. And uh, this is, you know, this is probably my favorite scene that he's done. Tough, tough to choose. He had a lot of good ones, but this is a this is the one that made the list here at my number two. Sure. And uh, it's. It he made my list as well. Uh, not, not my number one, but it's, uh, it's in the seven through 10 range. So we we'll get into that. Sure. I mean, it sounds awesome. It, I don't think you've spoiled anything for me in particular. Yeah, I am familiar I with I some of these to... characters, some of these things. I think you've piqued my interest on a number of things where I'm thinking, Ooh, maybe that explains kind of what's going on in book one that I'm currently reading. Hmm. Yeah, I but think most of what I've mentioned here, if you've read, let's say, part one at least of um of that first book, the details I've mentioned here are things that like you could probably guess at would happen with specific characters eventually. Sure. Um, if you've read a fantasy book before, let's say. Um Sure. But yeah, I I Stormlight is absolutely one of my favorite fantasy series going, and uh this uh this fight is just an incredible one, and in a series just chock full of incredible fight scenes. This is a this is an excellent one. Yeah, and it, I think it was book one of Mistborn that when I first really got exposed to his way of portraying fight scenes, and it's he he does a really good job of keeping the action moving very quickly without dis- over describing in detail but at the same time he gives you so much information with the way that he phrases things it's yeah you're you're really it's able very to very unique 
follow the action almost as if you were watching it on a screen, you know, is the way he describes it. He's very to the point with what's going on. He's described the magic that can be at play in these scenes. He's described the capabilities of the characters previously in such a way that as he rattles off things that they're doing, you know exactly what's going on. Um, Leads to the next detail and you already have enough context that you're, you can picture it in your face, in your head, like everything that's going on. There's an infinite number of fight scenes in books that are just like, and then he swung his sword at him and he hit and it was a big hit and, and everything like that. And it's like, okay, they're fighting. I guess it's all right. Um, Sanderson is just a cut above almost any other author I've read in that area. Yeah, some of the Kelsier fights kind of early on. In Miss Prime, for sure. Pretty great. Pretty great. It's kind of what hooked me into the series, but... No, that's a great entry, and I am very much looking forward to getting to that book and that portion of the book now. So, you've re-energized me to keep moving forward. Not that I was going to stop, but... (laughs) All right, well, we already heard your number two, because that was Princess Bride. We talked about that. Uh, so let's yep. go to your number one. Sure. What do you got? So number one, and this was a surprise for me. As I was going through it and thinking about it, I realized how passionate I felt about this fight in particular. Okay. And so let me, let me set the stage for you here. Uh, maybe literally, we have uh, your. Let's say you're part of a band. You're kind of crappy. You're trying uh, to compete uh, in okay. a battle of the bands, yeah. right? Against maybe like Crash and some boys. I've heard about that. And, and uh, is that that one band with Crash and the boys? Yeah, that's Perhaps. them. Yeah. So you, you're uh, you're upset because they performed and. They were very good, at least to your lead singer, the talent. And as a result, you're like, okay, well, we got to play really well. So, all right. You're competing in the band. You're playing your garbage truck song. Huge explosion. Dude flies in, and suddenly he wants to fight you. Sure. Does that all make sense? Perfect. Well, you set the stage for Scott Pilgrim versus Matthew Patel, the very first evil ex. In Scott Mission Pilgrim Choice versus the, the world. First one. Yeah, so I I spent quite a bit of time thinking about which of these I felt like was the strongest or the best fight. Because there are a lot of very good fight scenes in this movie. Sure. Sure. Uh the base battle included, which I alluded to earlier. Or even the final battle. Right? But ultimately I chose this one. And the main reason was because the very first time I saw this movie, I had no context for Scott Pilgrim. I hadn't read the comics or, you know, the graphic novels, yeah, whatever. I had heard about them. I knew the general idea. Sure. Somebody told me there's some evil exes and that's it. That's all I knew. And so I'm lightly video game themed. Exactly. And it was nerdy. And I'm like, perfect. It sounds right up my alley. The music's pretty good. Okay, fine. So we're watching this movie. I'm thinking it's just a standard Michael Sarah style comedy movie and it was at this point in the movie that you realize holy crap this movie is something completely different and sure the fight begins and of course he says consider our fight begun and scott pilgrim's like what did i do and he says what do i do and then 
his roommate, Wallace, says, Fight! And then suddenly Scott pulls out of nowhere a block, like just a complete swipe with the dude coming at him, about to punch him right in the face, and he hits him with a reversal. And the dude flips out of that, and he's standing up, and he's looking at him, and he you know, brushes off a couple, a little bit of dust off his shoulder. And you're like, okay, what the crap just happened? Because at that point, the movie has shifted gears here. A hundred percent. This is now a full on crazy comic action movie. And I, for one, didn't know that was coming. So it caught me off guard completely. And it was at this point that I thought, holy crap, this is going to be badass. And it, it just, it shifts the tone for the entire rest of the movie. So from here, of course, there's tons of banter in this part, right? It's, hey, watch out, it's that one guy. And then Scott jumps up and uppercuts him, and he starts punching him a whole bunch of times, and he hits him with a 64-hit combo. And I'm just like, what is going on? Why does this guy suddenly know how to fight and has all of these fighting abilities right after he starts dating Ramona. Is that just a coincidence? It's like it's unclear. Yeah, it just it it just is what it is. Yep, that's just what this movie's doing. Yep. And George Lucas wrote this movie. So after getting hit 64 times, this dude falls to the ground, gets back up and he says he's Ramona's first evil ex. And Scott's like, her her what? And you know, of course, the uh, the fighting and the kicking ensues, and everyone's very confused at like what is going on right now. And even you know, everybody's watching this battle of the bands, and they're just suddenly now watching a fight. And Scott says, "Wait, we're fighting for Ramona." And Matthew's like, "Well, yeah. Did didn't you get my email explaining the situation?" He says, "Well, I skimmed it." And Wallace, of course, his roommate is like, "Oh, mm-mm, no." <laughs> And the guy's like, you will pay for your insolence. And up to this point, he's everything he says, it seems like is a rhyme. And it, it's part of his shtick, I guess. Sure. They all, each of the evil exes has like a whole, a whole gimmick. Yeah. And so this guy, right, they're like, well, wh- what's up with his outfit? Suddenly it's the, the peanut gallery chirping at him and, and t- trying to call him out on his uniform. And he looks like a pirate a little bit and he's like is he a pirate or and the guy's like pirates are in this year and then he just like starts fighting him again <laughs> and, you know the it locks up his arms and uh Scott's holding him in like a a hold and he looks at Ramona who's up on the second floor watching everything kind of unfold and he's like you really went out with this guy she and then of course the spotlight from the the venue turns and is now on her, which completely sure. shifts the back to a kind of a comedic effect, right? And uh, she's like, yeah, in the seventh grade. And then she tells the story about it. And in one point in the story, she says, we brawled and scrapped and fought for hours. Nothing could beat his mystical powers. And afterwards, Scott's like, wait, wait, what? Mystical powers? And suddenly now this dude pushes away from him and he's singing. And and it completely changes the whole thing again, where uh, Anna Kendrick's character, Scott's sister, is like, what? Like, she's not expecting this dude to just break into song. And 
as a result of him breaking into song, he suddenly starts levitating and there's fire coming from his finger and these demon hipster chicks appear around him and they're very demonic looking with like the cat uh cat eyes and you know spiky teeth and they're singing like a backup to the the lyrics that he's saying and it's just like completely crazy and off base and it combines many different elements that you're just not expecting at all in this movie up to this point. And it, like I said, it sets the tone for everything else that's going to come after. Um, my favorite thing that the demon hipster chicks say is uh, they're repeating slick and they're like, S L ick. Ooh, <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, and then he's like me and my fireballs. And he's just starts shooting fireballs at it. And as he's shooting off the fireballs, he actually launches one at the opposing band and they just immediately disintegrate and it's just piles of bones that fall. And it's a bummer. You know, they're he's like, I'm talking the talk and I know I'm slick and the SLA and blah blah blah. And then he grabs a symbol that was on the ground, Scott does, and he chucks it at him frisbee style and it hits him in the head. And uh at that point he does like a like a power jump. He crouches down pulls his arm back and then he launches his arm up and he's going a hundred miles an hour about to hit Matthew Patel in the head. And he, he just punches him straight across the face and it goes into K O and then he bursts into coins and he gets, a, and it says a thousand points and then the coins all fall to the ground. Scott falls to the ground too, or like lands. And he says, Oh, sweet coins. Like, Suddenly, like, his whole tone changes. It's very casual. Yep, like, the movie has snapped back into... Yeah, like, this whole fight scene didn't mode. even happen. And, like, everybody didn't just witness the murder of several people and the destruction of one dude who literally burst into coins. And, you know, demon hipster chicks and fireballs, and it's just, like, the whole thing becomes nonchalant at that point. And I love that scene. It, it was... My first exposure to this movie, watching that scene, I'm like, I, I don't even need to watch this, the rest of this movie to know that I'm going to love this movie. It has everything it's that I movie. love in a movie. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I said it's a great movie. It, it's incredible. And this fight scene really ramps it up, right? Because this, mm -hmm. this has nerd humor. This has references to video games. This has... Uh, you know, point battles. It's got ridiculous kind of over the top uh, anime style fighting. And then it's got some, some semi-realistic fighting. It was all part of a sub fight. Cause it was a battle of the bands. They're playing music. And then the dude breaks into song and dance and suddenly has magical powers. I mean, it's, it's got tons of variety. It's got tons of different things going on. Um, it's got, like I said, setting the tone for the rest of the entire movie. Like, this is going to be crazy. What's going to happen with the next six X's? Like, I have no idea, but I'm in love with it. And I want to know everything that's about to happen. And I hope it's as good. And I, I don't know that all of the fights are good, but there are some very good fights throughout that re the rest of that movie, right? And it, it's really remarkable that they were able to take uh, something like this um, from the source material, which is a graphic novel, and then translate it to a live action film. It, it's it's really remarkable they were able to do that effectively. This could have this could very easily have been like, oh, this is 
really bad. They did not get this, but they just nail it. This is a top 10 movie for me I, I, of all time. I adore this movie. It has elements that I love, that I, I find very important. It's got a great plot, great dialogue, great music, and, and it's entertaining as hell and tons of rewatchability. I would definitely watch this movie again and again and not grow tired of it. And I've listened to the soundtrack so many times. But it is this fight that I chose to put on my list. And I honestly, like I said, it surprised me a little bit. I didn't think it was going to be number one. But as I'm going through it and coming up with all my notes on it and going through the actual battle, I'm like, I love this fight. This fight's incredible. It just it needs to be number one. I just felt so strongly about it that it, it honestly wasn't even close. So that's why I picked it as number one. This movie's incredible. This fight being the first fight in the movie makes it that much more incredible. It takes it to a whole new level. And to me, it it's one of the defining moments that really puts this into another level of phenomenal movie so yeah, that's fair i uh I, I like i said i i truly love this movie i don't think it's a top 10 for me but i i you know five out of five stars you well your name's not scott so that's true i you know we have a maybe if the movie was called josh pilgrim versus the world that's true probably wouldn't be as good if i'm it doesn't go quite the same ring to it no it really doesn't mr pilgrim Yes. I'm, I may go watch this movie again this weekend. That is, that is uh, some, something that's, that sounds like something you would do. But now that I've said my piece, what is your number one? Uh, my number one is way better than that. <laughs> um, I, like that I like that scene. Okay. Man, this, uh, this scene that I'm about to talk about uh, Super Mario Brothers a, in the live the, action no, movie versus King no, Koopa. certainly not. Bowser. <laughs> um, this is a fairly recent watch to me. Uh, I I watched this movie for the first time a few months ago, and it just blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. Um, I I had heard it cited previously as uh like the greatest action movie ever made, and I don't know that I agree with that, but I am giving it the best fight scene of all time award. Number one spot on my list. This is the final fight scene with Mad Dog in The Raid Redemption. Which is the some, sometimes titled as just The Raid. I have not seen this. Man, you need, you need to watch this movie. Also, recommendation to everyone listening. If you don't want to watch this whole movie, the narrative here really doesn't matter very much. You can just... Like, if you just want to watch a fight scene without watching the whole movie, you could go watch this on YouTube and, like, you could just see this is what an incredible fight this is. It is just, like, like six-minute fight scene that is just truly incredible. The strengths here I'm going to talk about are the absolute brutality of this scene and the dogged persistence of one of the members of this fight. So... A little bit of groundwork here. Uh, the Raid is a Malaysian film about cops raiding a drug lord's apartment block to try and capture him. However, it's mostly a trap, and a lot of the uh, the like uh, I think it's like twenty one cops that are 
raiding this place are gunned down pretty quickly and uh the movie from there is absolutely chock full of fights mostly action um as these uh remaining cops kind of fight their way through this apartments and hallways and stuff in this this very large building there are i would say two other fight scenes that if we didn't have the one per property would also make my top 10 in this movie but this is my favorite wow uh the very final confrontation it is uh, another one of the... T- I, I, I had in my notes here. It's a rare two-on-one fight uh, where the person outnumbered is the bad guy, but we've described that multiple times already. In, uh, yeah, I would not call in, that rare. In the list here. So, uh, in fact, you know, I have that several that more rare. times. All right. Well, our protagonist is named Rama. Um, I had to go look that up to remind myself because, again, the narrative really doesn't matter that much in this movie. Uh, he is a rookie cop who is secretly on this mission to find his brother who's been missing for years. It turns out that the brother was working for the drug lord, but then as all this is going down, he decides to help Rama try to escape the trap here. Uh, he's found out in that process by the drug lord, and then Rama finds him in a room being tortured by the drug lord's top lieutenant, who is named Mad Dog. Earlier in the movie, we've seen Mad Dog fight and kill another major character, which is one of those other two scenes. Just truly incredible uh, at just phenomenal, phenomenal fight. But it's not this fight. Uh, Mad Dog lets the brother go free so that he can fight both him and Rama because he really, really loves fighting. That's like what he lives for. Then we get to the fight itself. It is absolutely one of the craziest things I have ever watched in a film. So they're using an Indonesian martial art in this movie called Pencoxalat. I could very much well be pronouncing that wrong. I do not know. But um, the, the actual actors here are trained in this, and, and they're doing their own stunts here, uh, which is, uh, you know, you see in a lot, of, a lot of kung fu movies, a lot of martial arts movies, and really lends to the believability of the fights when it's, hey, this is absolutely those actors doing all this stuff. Sure. So... Rama and the brother are very, very skilled fighters, especially Rama, but Mad Dog is just this absolutely unstoppable force. Uh, He takes an incredible amount of punishment and just keeps on going no matter what. He is able to take on both the brothers at once and stay on top, eventually hitting one of them enough times that they're out of it on the ground for a while, and then he's able to go at the other one one one-on-one, right? Then he just starts dealing out some real beatings at that point, and the cadence of the fight from here goes back and forth as he kind of incapacitates one for the time, like with a throat punch or something. The other one's down for a bit, but then right at, you know, the, the timing's a little convenient. Uh, then right, right then, as the one goes down, the other one's able to get back up and just nonstop. It's just going, going, going. It, it's notable here that uh, most of this fight is just hand-to-hand strikes, while most of the rest of the fights in this movie are involving guns or especially machetes. There's a lot of blade work in this movie. It's a real gruesome stuff of uh, people getting cut up with machetes. Uh, despite... So where are they, Sorry, where are they at in this uh, final scene? Like, when they're fighting? Is it like, it's a, just some, just like it's an just open some warehouse? It's just, no, it's just some room oh. in this apartment building, basically. The whole, the whole thing, the whole movie, but like 99% of this movie is taking place in this big apartment building that has like a big open staircase in the middle. Uh, Hmm. and 
uh, you know, fighting across different series of apartments and um, other individual rooms. This appears to be like some kind of empty storage room or something that they're fighting in. It's mm. got a couple of like fluorescent, the hanging fluorescent lights from the ceiling, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it's like a real washed out look to the room that kind of most of the movie has. Uh, this movie also made for, uh, I believe this movie is made with a $1 million budget, if I remember right, which is insane, given the level of stuff they're they're able to do with it, and that it was made in 2011. So, that is not a lot of money to make a movie. Uh, anyway, despite that this doesn't involve like guns and machetes like most of the other rest of the fights in the movie, right. this fight is still absolutely just as brutal as everything else in the film. And most of these other fights are exceptionally brutal fights. There's a extremely violent movie. And I wouldn't say gory, but just the level of violence that is happening here is absolutely brutal. Uh, toward what seems to be the end of the fight, the brother is knocked down and bleeding on the ground while Mad Dog manages to flip Rama over his head in the process, striking his foot against one of those hanging fluorescent light fixtures, breaking the bulb inside which drops to the ground in multiple pieces. Then Mad Dog starts choking Rama out. Um, and as he's doing that, he's kind of got his back to the brother. The brother is able to kind of like drag himself over to a large piece of the broken bulb, stand up and fully stab like a fist length piece of this bulb into Mad Dog's neck. Mm. Um, so Rama is saved, but Mad Dog keeps fighting for another full minute with the bulb in his neck and blood is just pouring out everywhere. It is gruesome. Uh, and this thing's just in, just wedged into his neck and it's just more and more blood getting all over the place as like the fight isn't slowing down at this point. He is still just unstoppable. Uh, finally, they are eventually able to pin him down for a moment, and Rama takes the bulb and drags it across his throat uh, and kills him. And it's just, you get to that moment, you're like, oh my god, what is with this guy? They just cannot stop him. The only thing that, like, even a fluorescent tube bulb to the neck didn't kill him. They have to fully cut his throat to get him to die and, and, and even stop moving, you know? It, it, it's easily my favorite martial arts fight in a movie. Absolutely killer ending to a fantastic film. Uh, it, it, if you haven't watched this movie and you like action movies and you like martial arts movies, stuff like that, like this is probably the best one of those that I've watched. Hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I've not seen this movie. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. I, you should watch it. I'm going to watch the fight scenes. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it, I think it's worth watching the whole movie um, because there's a lot of smaller scenes that like aren't going to show up smaller fight scenes and stuff that aren't going to show up in, um, in like your big YouTube reels and stuff like that. Probably. Um, I think the acting is really strong. Um, it's just the story doesn't matter. It's not the story is bad. It just doesn't matter. It's not what you're here for. You know, it's minimal. Don't watch it with your kids. <laughs> Notably <laughs> do not watch this movie with your children. What about what is, about my teenagers? Would that be okay? Yeah, probably, depending on, you know, what level of stuff. That, like, this is, I would, like, again, not super gory, but certainly one of the most violent movies I've ever watched in my life. Uh, one final note here. Uh, Mad Dog himself is played by the actor Yayan Ruhian, who is, uh, who also Ooh. was one of the, uh, sorry, what? 
I said, who? I, I don't know who that is. Uh, so he, you may have seen him before. He is in uh, the scene with the bounty hunters that are going after Han Solo in The Force Awakens. He's in that. Uh, and uh, he's also one of the fight choreographers for both of the Raid movies. Uh, this movie in particular, the first Raid movie, was his first time ever doing that job and ended up turning out, in my opinion, and in, uh, you know, one of the best martial arts movies ever made and uh, what a lot of people consider to be like the greatest action movie of all time. So, man, <laughs> killer first time on the job, dude. Only the, only the second movie he had ever acted in, too. Some people just get lucky. Yeah, he uh, found his calling, I guess. Well, it helps that, from what you're describing, he sounds very skilled. Oh, yeah. He's very, very good. So I guess I, would, uh, I wouldn't call it luck. It's uh, the good fortune that he happened to have all these skills that translated very well to what he was trying to accomplish. He's also a different character in The Raid 2. Completely unrelated character. Still great in that. Lots more martial arts in that one as well. Um, oh, by yeah. him. Oh, okay. yeah. It's a much, much longer movie. Um, maybe a little too long. I had heard people say The Raid 2 is better than The Raid 1, and we watched it and went, eh, I think I like the first one a little bit more. But uh, still great. Some truly killer fights in that movie as well. Mm. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check those out then. I do I like think the Raid 2 movies. is like a full hour longer than the Raid 1. Now, it just boils down to the problem of where is this streaming? Uh, I could not tell you. And can I find time away from the children in order to consume these movies? Yeah, watch it with your, um, with your infants. That's a, that's a good move. A-plus parenting. Top 10 things I did to mess up my kids. Number one. <laughs> Top 10 movies you saw as a kid but probably shouldn't have. Hmm. I don't know that I could have 10, but I definitely have some. Yeah. Temp Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom I saw when I was like 10, and that, that I did not care for that experience at 10. That's unfortunate. It was scary. It was scary. Anyway, that's our, that's our top sixes here. We've, we've done it. So we're going to take another break. Good idea. And then we are going to come back. We're going to finish out the 7 through 10s quickly. We're going to talk about... Uh, what our honorable mentions are, and then we're going to have final arguments to decide. Yeah, there's a lot of honorable mentions for me as well. Uh, then we'll finally argue and to decide what belongs on the unified top 10 list. So stick around for that. Welcome back, everyone. You know what I'm going to say. If you made it this far, you're probably enjoying yourself. At least a little bit. In which case, an honest rating, a review, or referring a friend would really go a long way to help us get the word out about this podcast. So thank you again for listening. And now we will move on to the rest of our list, 7 through 10. As and well now, as the rest of the story. honorable mentions, as well as phase two, the great That's argument. A little Paul Harvey joke for uh, a little Paul Harvey joke for all of you that are over forty. Let's do it. What's uh, you do it first? Do we got seven through ten? Hit us with the details. All right. 
Uh, number seven is, uh, you've alluded to this, so I think this is on your list, or it might be a different one, I don't know. This is the Kretik Shaw fight from the end of the book Hero of Ages from Mistborn Era 1. Yes, it is in fact my number seven. I have it listed as... Oh, dead on. Vin versus Steel Inquisitors. Yep. Uh, so, same, same ranking for both of us. Interesting. Uh, so, strengths of this fight, I think, are uh, the aerial combat and overwhelming power used. Uh, I'm not going to go into super details here for these 7 through 10s because we've talked a lot about fight scenes already. Uh, this fight is, ulti- is basically the culmination of the entire Mistborn trilogy. It sees our protagonist, Vin, face off against 16 Steel Inquisitors. Uh, they are magical abominations with steel spikes through their heads, replacing their eyes and jutting out of the back of their skulls. Uh, it's one of the most exciting and descriptive fight scenes I've ever read in a book, uh, and it it's mostly takes good. place among the jagged spires of Kretik Shaw, the fortress of the Lord Ruler, who is the tyrant who enslaved the world. Uh, so it's a, it's a really cool, really dynamic fight scene. Again, this is a Brandon Sanderson uh, book, so he just does a phenomenal job of just describing the magic and just the incredible level of power that these characters are using to battle each other. Uh, just really remarkable scene and a, and a really satisfying culmination of what has happened over three books. I have nothing to add to that. It's incredible. It, Read the it's books. Really something. It's really something. Good, good reading. Uh, number eight, I have uh, from Kill Bill Volume 1, The Bride versus the Crazy 88. Uh, strengths of this fight I have listed as uh, it, for it being a one versus a hundred kind of fight. And use of creative weapons. So, the bride, Uma Thurman, uh, has sworn her revenge on her former allies who tried to kill her. Uh, This movie culminates in her going after Oren Ishii, uh, who is one of of the people who tried to kill her. Uh, Before the bride can get to her, she has to take on the Crazy 88 gang. The fight starts with dozens of them surrounding her, wielding swords and just tons of other crazy weapons. Uh, she attacks with her katana and just starts cutting them down one by one, resulting in just really over-the-top, huge blood sprays. Uh, there's really clever use of cinematography and music here. We have portions in black and white, and a later part that's all in silhouette. Uh, the fight ultimately ends with her on a balcony overlooking the carnage of her killing all of the crazy 88. Yes, the 88 means there's 88 guys. Uh there's blood everywhere, dozens of bodies of the dead, maimed and wounded. It's just a really, really neat scene. Uh, number nine, I've got uh, the last book on the list. This is from book seven of the Malazan Book of the Fallen, uh, Reaper's Gale. Uh, and this is Karsa Orlong versus Rulad Sengar. And the strength of this fight I have uh, listed as two unstoppable forces colliding. So... This is book seven. At this point in the series, we know that this fight has been coming for a very long time, uh, and the absolutely unstoppable nature of both fighters has been reinforced across multiple books. Karsa Orlong is a Teblor, a seven-foot-tall, incredibly powerful species similar to giants. He's got a flint greatsword that contains the souls of his former companions. Uh, Rulad Sengar is the chosen of the crippled god. He is the emperor of a thousand deaths. Each time he is slain, the crippled god brings him back stronger. His body is covered in golden coins that have been melted into his flesh. Malzan's really good and weird. Uh, there's a 
long buildup to this inevitable confrontation over the course of the whole book. And then by the time we actually get there, it absolutely pays off. Very cool scene. Which book did you say uh, this was in? Worth reading. This is Reaper's Gale, book seven of the Malazan Book of the Fallen. Book seven. And then uh, my number 10 is from uh, the movie The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. This is Aragorn versus Lurtz, the Urukai. Uh, strengths I have here are oh, uh, really great physicality in the fight and uh, emotional moment. Uh, so this is the end of Fellowship of the Ring, my favorite smaller fight in the movies. We discussed earlier some really big battles in this series, not as many smaller fights. Um, and this this is probably my favorite one of those. Uh, Aragorn's taking on Lurtz, the leader of a band of Urukai, who are a crossbreeding of orcs and men, uh, more powerful than regular orcs, much larger. Uh, it's excellently shot and fast-moving fight. Only lasts about a minute. There's some really great sword play, hand-to-hand strikes. There's a shield throw, some really cool stuff. The best moment for my money is when Aragorn stabs Lurtz in the leg with a knife and is able to get some distance away from him. Lurtz then pulls out the knife, licks the blade in like a really creepy way, and then throws it at Aragorn, who only barely manages to knock it out of the way with his sword. Uh... And he ends up cutting off uh, one of Lurtz's arms and then finally his head to end the fight. It's just, it's a really great scene. But yeah, that's my, uh, that is my seven through 10. So Scott, we have your, we already know your seven and your 10. Yeah. Just other duplicates. Just for the, the sake of being complete. We have seven is the credit shot fight. The same one referred to from hero of ages and Mistborn. Great fight. Uh, and number eight, I have John Wick in the first John Wick movie, and specifically it's when he's in the Red Circle nightclub and trying to make his way to Vigo. And there are a number of Russian dudes that he defeats in the process, but it is, it's a very fun scene to watch. And Oh yeah, that's I, excellent. Honorable mention for sure. Yeah, John Wick in general, I mean, there's this beautiful music playing, and after they kind of fall into the club portion of it, it's like an electro house music. Uh, But John's relentless. It's guns, it's knives, it's multiple shots, it's precision. Precision shot after precision shot. Uh, Vigo escapes into the club dance floor. He's wrapped in a towel because he just got out of the pool from a back room. John's working his way through all of the Russians. He's reloading guns. He's making these amazing shots. Lots of headshots. And then oh, he yeah. himself gets shot. And Vigo escapes in a car. Champagne bottles breaking on John. I mean, he's thrown from a second floor. And then he just kind of walks out. He's really badly injured at that point, but he just pretty much walks out. And the phone rings because he had stolen the phone from uh, Vigo's protector. And he's like everything's got a price which of course was a line referring to earlier in the film when he tried to buy the car off him so great i uh you, you keep mentioning vigo the character in this movie and since i just talked about lord Aaron of the rings Martin you were picturing vigo mortensen every time i'm like <laughs> wait vigo mortensen no wait no this is the other movie <laughs> no this is gray worm actually oh okay no it's uh i forget the the actor's name but you know who I'm talking about. I do. Uh, so that being said, that was, yeah, I, I thought that was a great scene from that movie. And I have not seen the other John Wick movies, 
but from what oh, I am, you should watch those. I'm working on it. We've already established that they are now available, and I I have the ability to watch them. I need to find the time. We haven't watched four yet. Um, my wife and I have not gotten around to that one, but okay. we really like all three of the first ones. Number one is very good, so I will obviously be watching the other ones. But that, I think one one is still the best one. That being said, that was uh, my number number eight. Uh, and then my number nine, also a Lord of the Rings fight, but not the okay. same one. I chose Gandalf versus Saruman. Okay. The wizard duel? The wizard duel. I really like the wizard duel. And in fact, I'm pretty sure this fight won an award that year. And, and I was struggling to remember. I don't think it was an Oscar, but it was like a best fight scene award that it had won. And oh, I, yeah. The best fight scene Oscar, you know. Yeah, no. Uh, if only that were a thing. It should be a thing. Why is it not a thing? But anyway, I I think it would encourage more good fight scenes to appear and improve choreography. I still wouldn't watch the Oscars, but I'd probably watch the they're not, fight scene they're not that they refer to. But that being said, uh, it, it's a great one. It's yeah. It's betrayal of his mentor. It's a turning of the tide. It's, uh, yeah. Everybody knows this. We've talked about Lord of the Rings. but You have elected the way of pain. Exactly. But there's a lot of cool wizard magic and spinning and just back and forth. I, I don't know. I really like that one. And then number 10, uh, of course, is the Duel of Fates again. So that was my 7 through 10. I have a number of honorable mentions. Do you want to go through your list first? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I'm going to try to move quickly, mostly here, because, uh, boy, I got a lot of them. Uh, we have, uh, from the John Wick series, maybe you've heard of it, I nope. have listed uh, basically every single fight in these movies, because they are all bangers, but I'm going to give a, a special call-out to uh, the dog scene in John Wick 3, where there are a couple of dogs that uh, John Wick is fighting alongside that take out a lot of guys. Um, my wife and I have decided that this is uh, our dog, Modoc's favorite scene in a movie, because he was very interested in the TV when this was going on, when he normally does not care about what's going on on the TV screen. So Modoc has very good taste. Uh, next, the bathroom fight from Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, this very nearly made my list, uh, but I couldn't quite fit it in. Uh, we have the butt plug fight from Everything Everywhere All at Once. If you've seen the movie, you know. Oh. Um, the airplane fight from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Particularly gruesome end to that one. Uh, the power loader fight from Alien. Uh, from the book The Last Argument of Kings, the third book of the first Law series. Uh, we have the Bloody Nine versus Fenris the Feared. Uh, uh, we talked about the raid earlier. I have the raid two. The kitchen fight at the end of that movie is easily the best fight in that movie. Uh, almost as good as the one I mentioned for my number one, but you know, not quite there. Uh, I have from the movie Yes, Madam, another Michelle Yeoh movie. Uh, we have the ending fight from that movie with her and Cynthia Rothrock fighting a bunch of a bunch of guys. Uh, from the video game Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, I have uh, Raiden versus Senator Armstrong, Nano Machine's son. Uh, from the video game Inscription, I have the Final Fight versus Leshy. Uh, I have two fights from the movie <clears throat> Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. We have Tifa versus Laws, and of course, Cloud versus Sephiroth. So from Malazan Book 8, we have Animander Rake versus Traveler. Uh, from the video game Asura's Wrath, we have the August fight. From the video game Metal Gear Solid 3, we have 
the fight versus the boss. Uh, from the show Star Wars The Clone Wars, we have Palpatine versus Darth Maul. Mm. Uh, from the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there is uh, the Armory fight. From the video game The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, the Ganondorf fight. We already mentioned the Matrix lobby fight as being excellent. I also have the hallway fight from Inception. And then another location-based fight, uh, the elevator fight from Captain America Winter Soldier. Hmm. Uh, The other MCU entry I have on the list is uh, Cap versus Thanos in Endgame. Uh, You know why. (laughs) That seems really good. We have from God of War 2018, we have Kratos versus Balder, uh, really one of the most well choreographed fights in a video game. Uh, Just incredible. Uh, From The Lost Metal, which is the last book of Mistborn Era 2, the duplicates fight. Uh, From Rhythm of War, Stormlight Book 4, we have Kaladin versus the Pursuer, uh, both times. Man, that second time, oof. Uh, from Dragon Ball Z, Gohan versus Cell. Shout out for the father-son Kamehameha. Talk about finishing moves. That's that's the one. Hmm. Uh, the first fight scene from The Witcher Netflix show. Uh, boy, I wish the quality of the show had stayed up to that first fight scene, because, man, that would have been great. Uh, and then uh, the entry on the list uh, that made me laugh the most uh, from They Live, the fight between Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David which is just oh, two yeah. guys beating the hell out of each other for like seven minutes straight. It is absurdly long. And it's all um, because he wouldn't put on those damn glasses. You gotta, gotta put on the glasses, man. That's the whole thing. Hey, and Keith David does not want to put on the glasses. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, man. Yep. So good. That that scene is hilariously, just like it keeps going. You're like, what is happening? Am I losing my mind? Yeah. I, Why are they still beating on each other? I watched that fight as well. Just uh, in preparation for this, I'm like, Maybe this needs to be on here. No, no, it's not. No. Well, it's good. That's a, that's a good list. Is that everything? That is everything. Wow. So a lot of, a lot of entries here. Yeah, I, I also have a lot. Uh, I'll try not to repeat myself too much here. Uh, we have one that I thought of during this conversation, and I'm still not sure that it's a full thought, but... Robin Hood, in any sense, I feel like should be included at least a little bit here. And I'm going to go with the Robin Hood men in tights. And specifically when Carrie always says, do you know praying mantis? And then him and Dave Chappelle go, both go, and, you know, pretend to fight. That's pretty good. Uh, Rush hour. We have the final scene where they're trying not to destroy the Chinese artifacts, but they're also fighting in the museum kind of at the same time. Thought maybe it was this. a little bit of too big for the the spirit of this. It felt maybe a little bit more than just a fight, more of a battle, but uh, it was worth noting. Drunken Master Two. We have the marketplace kind of drunken scene. Uh, also, the final battle. Both are great. Both peak Jackie Chan, and just he's super wasted and has an incredible fighting style. Uh, next, we have. Mortal Kombat Legends, it's a, an animated show. Scorpion's Revenge, and uh, this is Scorpion versus Quan Chi. This is a very graphic and very brutal fight. Uh, hot take, Quan Chi sucks. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a hot take. Scorpion's great, though. Yeah, Scorpion's incredible. Uh, next, we have Basil versus Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. 
I, Get over here. I am pleasantly surprised at how well they did making this fight scene, given that this is like a 60s Disney movie, and it's meant for kids. But it's, it's very good. There's a lot of tension, some surprise elements, and I, I just... I, it almost made my top 10, to be honest with you. Next, we I have... Bet, I haven't watched that movie in at least, like, 23 years. Oh, it's great. And, you know, if you had kids, you'd probably watch it more often than that. That's fair. Next, we That's have fair. Bullet Train, a more recent movie, and it's Ladybug versus the Hornet. And uh, I, I won't get into details on that, because I know you haven't seen that movie yet. I have not. Next, we have from uh, the Bourne... I, I tried to find some from the Bourne series here that really fit, but... Yeah, there's generically good fights in that. I don't none specific stand out, but I remember them like, yeah, these are good. So the first Maybe one a stands too much out shaky to me. Cam. Born versus the assassin, but the one where the assassin has like a, a knife on his knuckles, and Born just has a pen that he's using, and he's just brutalizing this dude with a pen, stabbing him, and then stabbing oh, yeah. him in the back of the hand, and disarms okay, the I knife. That. Yeah, real good. Uh, next we have. Peter Pan versus Rufio in the Hook movie. Oh, my God. Rufio. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. Next, we have three Speaking ninja- of spe- another Dante Bosco classic, yeah, uh, right. going back to uh, uh, Zuko. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Next, we have three ninjas, uh, Grandpa versus Snyder, the final fight. Uh, he uses all the skills that he learned from his his grandchildren to uh, really become a better fighter. And it shows in this, this last fight. Uh, next, I do have Eowyn versus Witch King Angmar in the Return of the King. Uh, I have a Dragon Ball Z entry as well, but it is not the same one you have. I have Vegito versus Ultra Boo because it's the first time that we see the combination of Vegeta okay, and, sure. you know, it's, I, I felt like Vegito was a, that was a really cool fight. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hijack and say also the uh, that tournament in the leading into the Boo saga um, with uh, Majin Vegeta that that stuff is really good. Oh yeah, there there's a whole bunch of so this is the problem with Dragon Ball Z. I I, I limited myself to one entry here based yeah, on that's one. Fair. And that's fair. I was like. I could name so many different fights from this because it's incredible. But part of my problem is some of these just take forever. And sure. just like we just say, just say anytime Vegeta shows up on screen because he's the best. Oh, yeah. Vegeta is the best. Uh, next, I have another hundred versus one scene. This is from the protector. And uh, he has uh, a baby elephant that he grew up with. They stole it from him. He's trying to rescue it. And in the process, he has to go through a bunch of dudes to get there. and. Sure. It's it's really entertaining. Uh, next, we have a similar one you had. I, it might be the same one, actually. I, I couldn't, I didn't quite catch exactly what you said, but in Raiders, Indy versus the Nazi mechanic, where the dude dies from the propeller at the end of the fight. Yep, they're, they're a plane fight. Okay, That's what I, yep. how I referred to it as. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Same one. Just shove that man into a propeller. That was, yeah, that was great. Uh, Mortal Kombat, the 1990s version, with Reptile versus Liu Kang. Uh, oh, those effects are not good. No. I just watched that movie like a month ago. Oh, that's a great movie. All right, next. For the first time. It's a good movie. I enjoyed it, but that fight is... Next, that, those effects are not we good. have from the Harry Potter books, in the Order of the Phoenix, Dumbledore versus Voldemort. And it's specifically from the books because... The way the book writes that fight, it is way more brutal than it's shown up in the movies. They 
kind of toned it down quite a bit and they also were long on time so anyway good yeah, that's fair. uh next i have godzilla versus the mutos and that was from one of the more recent godzilla movies not the most recent but uh godzilla charging up his lightning and then shooting his atomic breath straight down the throat of this dude to implode him from the inside Oh, amazing finishing move. I thought that was so badass, and I, I love those movies. I uh, say he's got to go. Ne- go, go, Godzilla. Next, we have Sherlock Ooh. versus the boxer in Robert Downey Jr. movie. Uh, specifically, That's a fun scene. it is. It's so fun because he just correctly predicts every single move and resulting ailment from each of the moves on the fight. And then he's just like, oh, I'm losing. I'm just toying with this guy. Actually, it's like this. And boom, 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 boom. And then it's done. And you're just like, what just happened? Those movies are pretty dumb, but in a really fun way. Exactly. And I feel like RDJ does a good job with that. Next, we have uh, the final raid boss in the Siege of Orgrimmar. In World of Warcraft, when you fight against Garrosh Hellscream. Wow. And wow. this is the culmination of years of expansions and brutalities and overarching storylines. And it all culminates to Garrosh is a bad dude now. He's, he's not in his right mind. He needs to be stopped. And I personally did play during this time frame. I really liked this raid, and this was one of the few raids that I did complete start to finish, all with one group, and, you know, all pre any kind of uh, nerf that they throw at these things. So, from a personal perspective, I felt like this was incredible. I really enjoyed it. It was an incredibly difficult fight, very long fight, but definitely worthwhile, and uh, yeah, I I still think about it sometimes, and the people I raided with at that time. See, I know Garrosh as that guy I played as in Hearthstone when I played Hearthstone. (laughs) As a warrior. Uh, Next section, because I'm not done yet, uh, we have a quick shout out to uh, my co-worker and friend Tori. He gave me some very strong suggestions for this list. Unfortunately, they did not make my my top 10. Maybe we'll get him on here one of these times, get his perspective. But for him, it was Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee versus O'Hara in the final scene. And uh, I watched this. It's very meaningful. Not an incredible fight. O'Hara barely puts up a a fight, in my opinion. Uh, Next entry is The Last Dragon, which is not a movie I was familiar with, but I I watched uh, the trailer, I watched some of the scenes from it, and then I watched the final battle. And it's ridiculous, but it's also entertaining, kind of in an 80s, showy kung fu movie style and um primarily black cast really really good um from the sense of the way they represented it but they also give a nod to some of the older kung fu movies and and some of the the ways that they do it so it doesn't feel gimmicky so uh, although parts of it definitely are i mean the the final battle is leroy versus show nuff anyway uh, I think I think the guy's name, uh, he told me it was Bruce Leroy, but I don't think that's right. Uh, okay. And then final entry here, and this is my hill I'm going to die on. We have Karate Kid, Daniel versus Johnny in the final scene of the movie. 
But I want to point out that Johnny is in fact the victim here, and I will not stand for Daniel LaRusso flirting with his girl, regardless of the fight that that she had with Johnny, you know, prior to that. And then, you know, of course he told him to back off, and Daniel sucker punched him, so Johnny ended it, right? And then he figured, no, it's just another kid. Like, I don't care. I'm still hanging out with my girlfriend. And then months later at the Halloween dance, and he's at this point, he's all but forgotten about Daniel. And Daniel douses him with water. And so, you know, the guys run joke. after him, him and his crew. They're all in those skeleton outfits. Daniel's defended by his sensei, who, you know, comes out of nowhere. But it's kind of a dick move that this adult who knows all these uh, karate techniques is beaten up on a bunch of teenagers. Seems kind of inappropriate. And he thinks he gave his friend brain damage, which completely inappropriate. If it happened in this day and age, he would have been sued. But anyway, you know, they decided, we'll just settle things at the All, Val- All Valley Karate Tournament. And, you know, Daniel won, but he won with an illegal move, which was a kick to the head. And Brain kick. And nobody seemed to care. Not a single person said cool. anything. It was, yeah, okay, it looked cool, but... Let's be honest. Johnny was the better fighter. He should have won that. His whole life would have been different. If you haven't watched the TV show based on this exact thing that I just spoke about, I definitely recommend it. It's pretty entertaining. So I have only seen The Karate Kid Part 3. That is the extent of and my let list. Let me tell though. you what. That is a bad movie. Why did you watch The Karate Kid Part 3 and none of the other ones? Uh, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> okay, we're not getting into it. That is the end of my honorable mentions list. It is very long-winded. I had a lot more that I even cut off of my honorable mentions because I felt like oh, it was yeah. just Could getting had. ridiculous. Could have had so many more, but, you know, we can only have the podcast be so long before people go, it's how long? I'm not listening to that. It's okay. I'm barely listening to you as is. No, yeah, that's fair. Why don't we move on to our unified list? Yeah, we got to hash this out here. So- unified. Unified. Talk about our top sixes here. Um, oops, I'm on the wrong sheet. I was on my notes sheet. We so we have all these in a shared Google Doc that we use to kind of organize our uh our thoughts here as we go back and forth. You know, one of these uh, days we could probably screen capture record our process of this kind of our moving things around and adjusting Excuse things me, as this we is go. an audio show well please? if we posted that portion onto a tube for you i perhaps i bet people at least perhaps. two people would watch it and i don't just mean my mom well, I've moved our top sixes over, which means since we had that one duplicate, we have 11 items on this list. We need to cut one. Um, I have seen all of your entries except for Hector versus Achilles from Troy. So I have no feelings about that one because I have not seen it. Uh, you have seen... Sekiro or- Shadows Die Twice. I have not played. The you Dragon played Reborn. That. I have not, not read, read. Words of Radiance, I am not there yet, but I'm not no. willing to cut you'll, that you'll one. Get there. And the Raid, get there. I have also not seen. Yeah, so of mine, you've just obviously you know The Princess Bride, and you've seen Star Wars. Although, quick confession, during our last break, I watched the Raid scene. 
the final battle. Oh, really? The whole okay. thing. <laughs> Isn't it good? It's very good. <laughs> Holy shit, man. The, uh, the way you described the stabbing with the light bulb, I was intrigued. And uh, when I watched that portion, I, I feel like that was, that was brutal. That was... It's- it's like, oh no! That's like my intense. my wife and I, like my wife and I watched that scene together, and that happened. And we're like, ah, oh man! Yeah, when he starts dragging it across his throat, yep. I feel like it's messed up. It is. But you got to get rid of him. This guy, he, he's got to go. Yeah, he is I, a problem. I could feel that pain. I wish I could listen to it with the sound on. I listened to it uh, muted, but uh, I feel like. It was still an incredible good, experience, regardless. Good foley, good foley work in that scene as well. A lot of just meat punching sounds. Meat punching. All right. Um, yeah, speed bag. That I feel brisket. like. I feel like uh, I have to have the Mad Dog fight rank very highly on this list. Yeah, now that I just watched it, it probably is going to be up there pretty well. But uh, I I don't know where Let's, exactly. Let's do this. I'm just gonna I'm gonna oh, move no. that over to oh, a no. just a a spot of definitely making the list here. Uh, you, I think you made a mistake there. Did I? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay, we're good. Oh, oh, I see. You've moved, you've moved it down a bit. Um, it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna keep going. Duel of the Fates was on both our list as we- as was um uh. uh Princess Bride's going to rank highly. Uh, yeah. Um, Princess Bride definitely going to rank highly. Yes. Uh, I would. I would. I would like Duel of the Fates to rank highly. Sure. I mean, I had it at ten, and right. Uh, three for me. You know, it's. I wanted it to be higher, but you don't really get a ton of variety, just because it's all lightsabers and. There really wasn't he hits much. him with the lightsaber hilt. That's pretty cool. Uh, okay, yes, one piece of it, but it's still no. There's there's a spot in that fight where Darth Maul does a backflip and kicks Obi Wan in the head. That's also cool. You're stretching, and we got like the we got the force jumps and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty. Obi Wan jumps from the platform, like the lower down walkway. He like force jumps up to the higher one. That's also good. Yep. Well, he should have uh, forced. There's some physicality to this fight. Right, anyway, there's, there's, the, the point okay. is, okay, it's gonna make the list. Put it. You can move it's it. Making, over. It's making. It's definitely making the list. Yeah, I'm putting it middle-ish. For okay. Now. Well, Scott Pilgrim's obviously making the list. So we'll say okay. we'll say Scott Pilgrim definitely makes the list. Yeah. Uh, I think the Zuko Katara versus Azula fight. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm fine makes with that. List. Definitely fine with that making the list. I I like that fight a lot. All right. Uh, Neo versus uh, I Agent like, Smith, I feel like, should be on this list. I like that fight. Uh, I'm going to say that I'm going to agree with you that I would rank the Cap and Bucky versus Iron Man fight higher than that, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we're going to move that over as well. Um, the Arena Duel can definitely move over. Yeah, Arena Duel I feel very, very strongly about. I'm going to get there. Give me time. I, I will catch up. I won't catch up to you. I will catch up to, unless I guess I read all of them, in which case I will be caught up to you. You know, there are how many books proposed for the Cosmere? Like 40? I forget the exact number of that. Stormlight's going to be, Stormlight's going to be 10. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's like 42. And I guess I'm making it a life goal to eventually consume all of those books well it's it's gonna be like 20 something years before they're all out anyway which so helps got time i can catch up time i can definitely uh-huh. catch up i'm yeah. i'm on book f- 
five, I guess. My fifth book. You read Warbreaker, the first, the first three Mi- Mistborn, first three Mistborn plus read, Warbreaker. Oh, I guess I did read uh, Emperor's Soul. Soul. Yeah, Emperor's Soul. Okay, the, I That's didn't know if that counted. Soul. So I think so counts. Okay, so six. There you go. I'm making progress. I'm getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't fault me um, for being slow and not being a reader not, in my my adultness. You. I will encourage you to read more, but you know, as you should. Reading is good. Having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. Arthur taught me that. Oh. Anyway. The Dewey Decimal um, System is your friend. (laughs) So, if we look at our number sixes. Yes. Which is Ishin, the Sword Saint. Yes. Some forgotten fight that, you know. Um, Your mileage may be. You know, I think these are both really great fights. Um, You know, you had Hector versus Achilles. Uh, ranked higher than Neo vs. Agent Smith. I obviously have not seen that, have no connection to it. Um, I think Brad Pitt looks kind of dumb in that movie. But... Uh, what the lion do? The lion mane? I, uh, I can't, you know, it obviously doesn't have impact on the quality of the fight. But it does taint my view of the movie a little bit. So yeah, I don't, I don't like... What, what are you thinking? Um, I'm not, I'm not really feeling Ishin, if I'm Ishin, if I'm being That's honest. Fair. I'm uh, based on the way you described that fight, which uh, he clauses he claws his way out of the corpse of his grandson. Okay, one cool thing, but that's not a fight. That's a surprise no, that's, element. That's a that's a thing that happens during a fight. Yeah, or in between parts of a fight. Right, which counts. We're certainly including. Okay, sure. Things we're, that happen around a fight. It's an element, but. Yeah. The um the other fight in the Wheel of Time series that you described, I feel like there there's a lot more going on there. Uh and I'm more inclined Perfect. to Perfect, I'm going to move it over. Move that over uh if we include both of my last entries, which you've already moved it over, so you agree to my terms and I really appreciate yeah, okay. that. I'll I'll let each one go. I I love that game. I love that fight. Favorite boss fight in a video game. We're going to put Yushin at an honorable number 11 here. Deal. I, I'm trying to scroll left to right here, and Google thinks I want to scroll all the way left I'm, or far enough right past everything on the screen. I'm That's not helpful. going to shift these back up. Yeah, good, good choice. Good choice. So we don't confuse ourselves. Um, so I'm going to throw this out there then. Uh, Hector versus Achilles should probably be number 10. Just given. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Given your. Let's let's do that. Okay. I'm gonna move that there. How do we feel about for now? I'm not saying this is final placement, but what if we, since it's my number three, it's your number ten? We want to slap Duel of Fates like right in the middle. Yeah, we could probably do that. I would. Right, I'm gonna slap it at five for now. Maybe it moves. I would I say know. the Wheel of Time one should be nine, because Ooh. your number mm. five is Inigo Montoya, uh, and that's my number two. And your number four yeah. being next. Mm, that's pretty low for for Matt Cawthon. I like that fight a lot. Ooh, but ooh. we have a lot of other very good fights here. Okay, well, let's hold off on that one then. Uh, Inigo Montoya, um, I think... Inigo Montoya is making the top five, I, certainly. I throw it at three for now. I It might move okay. up even in my mind. Um, okay. Because while you had it at five, I... 
you added it to. We'll see what happens here. Um, and so for me, for me, the way that I'm looking at this is I'm yeah. certainly not going to get away with shoving the Scott Pilgrim fight out of the top three. I imagine um, I like that scene a lot, but like it's nowhere near my top ten, not even close. Um, so what if it was like Josh it's a good Pilgrim. scene it, that I don't think would make it better. Um, but uh. So I like I think the Inigo Montoya fight is better, certainly better than that. Um, is there any? And you know, I'm just spitballing here. Is there any way the Inigo Montoya fight is a number one classic example of just what a true it, fight scene really is and can be? I truly love that fight. It is a really great example of. A, a fight scene where the true focus of what is going on is the uh, that banter between the characters. It's almost more fencing with words than it is the actual physical fencing that's going on. And I like that classic style of that Errol Flynn style back and forth with the the, the adventure movie fighting and stuff like that. But like you hold that up against like the Mad Dog fight, it's not even close. It's not even close to the level of uh choreography that's going on there and just the stuff it evokes in me uh, like watching the Inigo Montoya fight scene is one that like I anytime I watch it I'm like oh yeah this is great I really like this whereas like the mad dog fight is just like blowing me away every time I've watched it and I've watched that fight on its own like three or four times since the movie since I watched the movie a couple months ago sure it is just absolutely like the craziest thing i've ever watched in a movie mm. it's and it's specifically i think the thing that pushes it over like I, I i talked before about how like throughout that fight mad dog is just unstoppable he just keeps going You're like how is this guy keep on moving you know he has taken so much of a beating here and he just keeps going and does not matter how many times he gets hit um but it's the thing that pushes it over is that stabbing in the neck with the the light bulb tube toward the end. And then he keeps going for another full minute after that. And just like it, it barely even slows him down. You know, he is just so focused and so determined. Okay. Then I have a proposal for you. Okay. I'm going to move duel of the fates up one up one. I'm, I'm going to move Inigo Montoya up one. Oh, I'm going to move. Scott Pilgrim versus Matthew Patel into three betraying myself here. Okay. Throwing okay. Mad Dog into number one and then grabbing a few of these kind of as is and throwing them in five through eight mm-hmm. and the Neil fight mm-hmm. into nine. I. What if we did this? Seven is way too low for Arena Duel. I cannot abide this. See, but... I haven't read that yet. You haven't read it yet, but... I know. It... This, this is sheer... it better than Cap and Bucky? I mean, is it... Oh, it's... It's so much better than the Cap and Bucky fight. I like the Cap and Bucky fight. Don't get me wrong. But, um... Like, this is... Like, it's my highest rated fight scene of any of the books I have listed here. I read a ton of... I, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of fantasy books. There's a lot of fights in mm. fantasy books, and this is probably my favorite one. You know, if you ask me a month from now what my favorite one is, maybe it's a different answer. I don't know. But 
It's probably my favorite fight scene in a book, and it just... All right. Here's what I propose, then. Okay. Oh. I'm going to shift a couple things around here. Oh, you're bumping Duel of Fates down. Okay. Zuko and Katara versus Azula bumps to four. Duel of Fates goes back to five. Arena Duel bumps up to six. And then the Captain Bucky one gets bumped down to seven. I do like that Zuko Katara fight a lot, and while it is certainly no arena duel from, um, uh, from Words of Radiance, um, I you had duel of the fates slightly higher, uh, right? But I had duel of the fates at ten. I feel like because I haven't seen the arena duel, you know, don't have the connection yet. Whatever, but I think the duel of fates it makes sense that. It probably what gets if, a slightly higher ranking as of now. What what if we do this? You previously suggested Matt Matt Koth, the, the wheel time one, Matt versus Gowan and Galad at nine. What if we bump Matt down to nine? We bump Neo versus Agent Smith up to eight. Okay. And then we swap Duel of the Fates and Arena Duel. I can be amenable to that. Okay. Do you want to do it? I will do it. And if we do that, I think I'm okay with the final placement of items on this list. It it saddens me to see the Wheel of Time one go this low. Because, man, it's such a good good scene. Um, But, ultimately, I think... It's kind of on par with, like, Hector versus Achilles. (laughs) We we discussed previously how... um, you know, it's not just the choreography of the fight. It's just not, it's not just like the action specifically that's going on that makes a good fight scene. Yeah. The narrative, Matt, the narrative can matter. Doesn't, it doesn't have to matter like Mad Dog fight and the narrative. Who cares? Um, but uh, the narrative can matter. Banter can matter. All these elements can be important. But if we look at specifically the, the action here in the Matt fight, it's neat, but the significance is more that narrative, the mysteriousness of it, what's going on here, um, and uh, seeing a couple arrogant princes get beat up on, also fun. Uh, um, uh, that, that, that's what really makes that one stand out. So um, I can see that versus. a bit. It's kind of like uh, Frodo and Sam versus Gollum. That's, that's what you're talking yep. about here. Uh, you mean, uh, obviously, you're talking about um, what must be uh, a big, important fight scene in the Lord of the Rings Gollum video game that just came out recently. Is that is that true? That is a real video game that they put out. It is uh, the worst reviewed video game of the year. Oh, it, uh, it is apparently extremely broken. And even if it wasn't broken, it's really bad anyway. We have a final list here. I am okay with this, Scott. Do you do you uh, concur? I bless this list. I bless like the list down in Africa. The rains, yes, down in Africa. Have we? All have right, I become well, too predictable? I'm gonna change it up. I'm. Here. I don't bless going this to list. go ahead. Run this list down. Run it back. Honorable number eleven slot. Ishin the Sword Saint from Sekiro. Shadows, shadows die twice. Uh, number 10 is Hector versus Achilles from the movie Troy. Number 9, Matt Cawthon versus Gawain and Galad from The Dragon Reborn from Wheel of Time. Uh, number 8 is Neo versus Agent Smith from The Matrix. 
Number seven is Cap and Bucky versus Iron Man in the Captain America Civil War. Number six is The Duel of the Fates from episode one of Star Wars. Number five, The Arena Duel. Man, the music's so good. Number five, The Arena Duel from Stormlight Book Two, Words of Radiance. Number four, Zuko and Katara versus Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender. Number three, Scott Pilgrim versus Matthew Patel from Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Number two, Inigo Montoya versus The Man in Black from The Princess Bride. And finally, the number one greatest fight scene of all time. The second and final Mad Dog Fight from The Raid Redemption. What a list. I think you should do yourself a favor and actually go back and watch the Hector versus Achilles Troy fight. It's not that I just might do it's that. Not that long. I feel like it's not that big of an ask to to have you watch that. Uh, and all the other ones you've seen, and I'm not about to read seven books just so I can understand that one better. I'll probably get you to read Malazan at some point. We'll see. Hmm. Y- years from now. And I probably won't play Ashin because I generally don't really like Dark Souls games in most cases. Sekiro is really hard. It's very fun. But yeah, those games, not for everyone. Absolutely not. But, but I might let you show it to 1, me sometime. 1,000% for me. You know, one of these times when I go to visit you, probably uh, let you show me that game. Sure. I'd, pl- I'd play Mars Sekiro. You can't, you can't make me not play it. But hey, you know what? We did it. We did it we did again. It. We did it again. They said it We've couldn't be done. We've done it successfully 22 times now. A couple more if you count our pilot episodes and the lost episode. Ah, uh, yes, the lost episode. Rip. R.I.P. R. in peace. Rip in peace. All right, well, that that's it then. That, thank you, listener. Thank you. If you're still here, thank you for thank taking you, the time to listen to us argue. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I really do like having having fun preparing for these episodes and having these conversations. It's, yeah, it's uh, a good time. It's the main reason we do this with all that money we're making from it. How can we not? True. We are uh multimillionaires from this podcast. We are open to sponsorship as well on an unrelated note. This episode brought to you by, uh, what's a podcast that I've heard recently? Squarespace, Ooh, right? No, hey? da- uh, no, don't. Huh? Nah, well, maybe. Blue HelloFresh. I feel like HelloFresh is another one of one. 37 different mattress companies. Ooh. Purple or Casper? Yeah, that's one, I think. Wait a minute. I'm, He's a friendly ghost. Hold, I might actually have a Casper mattress. I do not. Okay, well, that's not the point. The point is. Sponsor us and send us free mattresses. Uh, we'll use them. Yes, I have many children. They all need mattresses. We sleep on the ground together. I do not have many ma- many children. I also don't have many mattresses. I just okay. have one. <laughs> but I could still use a mattress. Yes. Well, all right. That being said, uh, let's uh, let's move on. What, Josh? Why don't you you want to tell the people what we're going to talk about on our next topic? Yeah. So we came up with an interesting idea through some suggestions. We're going to talk about trying to remember the exact way we phrase this. The Top 10 best advertisements yeah. from our childhood. Which so there are we're gonna, a number of earworms here. Oh, for sure. We're, we're going to cut that off. Uh, we're going to describe our childhood as to uh, 
uh, cut that off when we when we turned 18. So anything 2008 or earlier qualifies, including before we were born. So uh, if you are around our age or older, you probably have seen these. I haven't made a list yet, but I can already I already know things for sure that are going to make the list. We're talking commercials. We're talking radio ads. We're talking ad campaigns in general we're talking promotional events all that kind of stuff oh there's gonna be some fun discussion here i am looking forward to it i've got some stories to tell kind of surrounding some of these as well radio ads i don't know if you said that radio definitely counts yep radio 100 percent. so this will be fun i'm i'm pretty excited for that one but does the do the do the clips of the people uh talking to you before the movie starts do those count Hmm. I guess we'll have to think about that one. I'm I'm yeah. inclined to say no. Probably not okay. in the spirit of this. Let's think about it. We we can come back to it. I'm Maria Menounos. Is she still doing those? In the arms of an angel. I saw her talking on a gas station monitor. Okay. Well, we're gonna keep going here because this is the end of the episode. So until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Maria Menounos. <laughs> and remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. And you're at the movies. Oh, and we made it through the whole episode without me mentioning the fact that Surf Ninjas was actually the number one oh, thing no, okay, on my hold on, hold on, hold on. We're list. rolling back. We're rolling back here. Okay, so... It's Scott, we have to. We, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me. We have to. We have to ask the episode question. I wrote it down. Um, is Scott Pilgrim versus Matthew Patel better or worse than Surf Ninjas? No, it, it beats Surf Ninjas. I wow. Okay, we have we have an entry that is better than Surf Ninjas for the first time since we started this. Scott Pilgrim versus so, the World um, is definitely better than Surf Ninjas, and this fight in particular is incredible. So. I mean, but I was going to joke with you initially that my number one was actually the final fight scene from Surf Ninjas, but it's not (laughs) that good. The best fight scene in Surf Ninjas is they're fighting against this really big dude who's part of the the army uh, of uh, Leslie's soldiers. uh, And as they're fighting him, they're at the top of this temple on this super high mountain, like hundreds of steps up and they knock him down and he starts rolling down the steps all the way, climbs his way back to the top and they toss him back down. <laughs> and then I think right, he well, makes well, it up. We gotta, one we gotta, more. All right. He makes it up one more time. And then they're like, he, they look at him and he's just like, Oh, never mind," And just rolls himself down. Cause he didn't want to get thrown down one more time. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hijack this back to the ending no. and take it over from you. No. And remember, with a little practice, you could argue your way into, into a, a friendship. friendship. Take care, folks. Take care, folks. He he said it was, they were biting so much that. Like you, you would catch a fish, you'd reel it in, and as you're handling the fish to like either measure it or um, take a picture or whatever, and your pole is dangling in the water a little bit, another fish would come up and take your bait as it's just dangling off the side of the boat. Wow! And yeah, that he's like it happened multiple times, and I'm like.
that that sounds awesome. Suicidal um, Fish, my new band name. Ooh. Not to be confused with the PH Fish. No. The, no. No. One of the worst not. bands of all time. I refuse to be associated with the band Fish in any way. Ooh, maybe that's a good topic. Top 10 worst band bands that are that have some kind of popularity or cult following of all time. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a pretty controversial episode. Fish is on the list for sure. God, fish fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You don't like jam bands? Not that one. Mm. I'm a dead fan. I do like Grateful Dead. I also don't really care for I don't hate Grateful Dead. They're fine, but uh not I'm never going to go out of my way to listen to them. Mm. But fish anyway. is like if fish is on, I'm like, turn it off. <laughs> <laughs>